Ready? So welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. Now, once again, a huge thank you to Wild Earth Australia for supporting me and the Adventurous Lifestyle. Now, if you guys need any gear for your next adventure, running, camping, climbing, hiking, you guys name it, these guys have it. Go to the website, go to wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code MYDIARY. We've changed it, guys. We've got a new discount code. To get 10% off with wildearth.com.au, put in the 10% discount code MYDIARY, all one word, capital letters. Now, once again, a huge thank you to Free Brewing Co., organic preservative-free beer. You'll find them at Dan Murphy's and BWS. It's a no-brainer, guys, organic preservative-free. Enjoy. So Jenny Woodhouse is a really incredible woman. You're about to meet her, but I really just want to say a few words to give this episode justice. Jenny suffers all day, every day with chronic pain in her spine. Now, towards the end of this podcast, we dive deep into her surgeries and her pain. But I really just need to thank and honor this woman for not only inviting me into her home, but sitting down and telling me her story while she was in incredible amounts of pain. She's on no pain medication, so I really just want to thank her. I also found you so inspiring, Jenny, with with the cards that you have been dealt in life to keep going out and adventuring and pushing yourself and allowing yourself to do incredible things. Now, I'm also going to add that due to Jenny not having feeling in her feet from her condition, all these amazing hikes that she did, she did it with a broken ankle and torn ligaments unknowingly and now she's awaiting surgery but it's just amazing what this woman's been able to do now i thought i might start this podcast with reading out something that jenny's son wrote okay so jenny's son wrote this for her and i just thought it was so beautiful having my mother as a mum throughout my entire life established a very keen love and enthusiasm for the outdoors Exploring the wilderness was life thanks to mum and dad and establishing an early source of inspiration to achieve and set goals in an incredibly fun way. So when as a family we understood the real world impacts of what mum was going through and then to comprehend her ambition to take this insane grand tour of adventure, I was flooded with a mixture of emotions. I was beyond proud and it was once again installed a significant point of inspiration having her as a role model literally makes me think if mum with all of her limitations and seemingless impossible roadblocks ahead of her can accomplish 50 something summits and over 200 hikes in 16 months nothing is impossible openly having a mother who unknowingly provides a son with this example this level of drive to achieve and inspiration to be your best no matter the obstacle Simply, there is no greater gift a parent can bestow on their child. Wow. Josh Woodhouse, Jenny's son, what an amazing poem, and I hope I did it justice. Now, guys, enjoy this podcast. Are you concerned about that? No, I'm not concerned at all about wind. If it did get real windy, you just put your hand up. (laughs) But it's like, (laughs) this whole podcast is like, 
Yeah, and how we're talking about other podcasts earlier and everything, yes. and they're so particular with audio. They are. It's just like for me, it's an adventure podcast with adventurers, and I'm an adventure. Like I'm it's so weird if I call myself an adventurer. I'm someone who's traveling <laughs> around, so it's like I want to keep it as real and as raw as possible. Mm. So right now, Jenny, we're sitting on your deck. You know, and um, we're sitting on your deck looking out over this beautiful forest here. We're pretty much in the trees. Mm-hmm. The birds, there's a bush turkey right here. There was a cockatoo a second ago. There's all these birds here. Uh-huh. And like, so we're going to have this background noise anyway. Yes, we are. I love the one with you on the boat. And I could hear the, the water lapping against the side of the boat. And that reminded me of my... Yeah. childhood and it's just instantly just soothing and draws you in yeah so it's like just that's beautiful. the thing it's like it's it's that's what it is it's diaries of the wild mm. ones it's like it's real i know, you know it's real and authentic and i've had some podcasters where i've had to lock myself in the room and put like cushions all along the wall and mounds of cushions all around me or all around where i'm speaking like a yeah. sound booth and they've been really particular but yeah, so actually speaking of that, you know, I'm here because, you know, you're in, you're an Aussie adventurer with a story to tell and, and you know, I've just been in your home for the last, you know, I've been here just for the last hour reading through everything that you've accomplished. We're sitting here right now looking at these maps. We're going to go through your story and, and um, I, I just want to straight up just thank you for um, allowing me to be in your home because I know you do a lot of interviews but you've never done one face-to-face. No. And um, mm. so this is this is your first face to face, and you've and you've opened up your space for me, and I really um, appreciate that because I, you know, for myself, I'd rather connection and that and that um, one on oneness. But you know, Jenny, I want to really want to. Um, I, I was thinking about this. How do I start with your story? Because especially in the last hour, I've really got to build on my perception of you, which is you're quite incredible, and you you're, you're quite unique, and and. You know, you've got this thing in front of you, which is a, and it starts with, I have a dream. And I could see that like a lot of your life, a lot of your passion, a lot of what drives you is, is written in there. And I was thinking like, what a beautiful place to start to find out the inner core of what drives you to all these adventures, which. Well, there's, there's so, there's, there's so much actually, but. I think over history, a lot of quotes have really resonated with me and they, they're ones that really make you think about life. And one of, um, I suppose from my teenage years, I've been inspired by the words of Dr. Martin Luther King. And from our adventurous family, from my childhood being raised by adventurous parents, that was really fitting. And of course, when Dr. King spoke the words that he did, he had far larger dreams than mine in mind. He had a monumental dream in mind, a dream that would change the daily lives of millions of human beings around the planet. I believe that my own personal dream, there are similarities which I can hold near to. You know, I can still hear his voice when I've um, you know, listened to it so many times and he, his quote was, and I will read directly, So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. I have a dream that all men are created equal. Dr. Martin Luther King was speaking about a completely different topic, of course. But at its heart, I believe the same life principles can be applied into my own little life. And he went on to say, the second part of the quote was, I have a dream that one day 
every valley will be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. The crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is my hope. You know, he dreamt of a world where the impossible could be, over time, made possible. And that's a belief that I really hold true to my heart. I've, I've come up with the, what resonates with me, with my own quote, is I call what I've been doing my list of impossible possibles. Um, because they're, quite frankly, they're a list of, of you know, zeons of summits and hikes that should be completely impossible for me. And yet there's ways, if you adjust the way you do things and think about things differently and completely shake up your entire life, there's ways to make these dreams possible. Um, So so what does it do for you when you read that? Like, what does that mean for you? That's what it means. It means the impossible is possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a mantra. Yeah, it, it is a mantra. And for me, I've had to rein it back because there are dreams you know I was about a decade ago I was in the process of booking the hike to Everest Base Camp and I've always wanted to climb the seven summits and all that sort of stuff you know that sort of international level of mountain climbing and venturing isn't going to be in my future now however there's you know we live in Australia we live in a great amazingly beautiful um, biodiverse rich country full of just the most amazing ecology Mm. so just because our mountains are all all small doesn't mean that they're not technically challenging in some ways and doesn't mean that they can't um, provide really rich life experiences um, from a visual from nature from a wilderness side from um, from a personal growth side, just every every way that you can think of adventure, for me, I just had to apply it to what would what would be mm. realistic and and definitely pushing the boundaries. But uh, what would be you know the impossible would become possible, and it absolutely has. How how often do you refer to that quote? Like daily, daily. It's it's daily. For me, for me to relate to this, there's for the last few years there's been um, I've got a few morning songs that I listen to every morning, and one is, one of them is uh, Ben Howard "Rivers in the Mouth," and there's a couple of lyrics that he says in that that are like my mantras, and one is like you know come at me from both sides of your mind thick and thin, you know, and for me that is is like show up as who I am and allow people to show up to me as who they am because I only want authentic experience, I only want to see someone, you know, and the other one is. Oh, how I beg for my world to change, but no, it's not on you, it's on me. And I take, I yes. see that, and that is so much power than that because I look at that, and for me, like how you said, whatever Ben meant when he said that, but for me, what it means in me is that no one else is going to change my life. No one else is going to make anything no. happen. It's like I have to go out today and I have to make it happen. Yes. You know, it's like whatever I want, whatever I want to create, it's up to me. I'm the common denominator in every scenario in yes, life that absolutely. is, in, you know, and so it's, it's, it's brilliant. The things that I've been able to achieve 
by just reminding myself every morning of that mantra. That's that's brilliant. But for for you, you're saying like you know, for you, it's um you know the impossible make the impossible possible, and and Australia is this beautiful country that you love to explore and enjoy mm. because it, the thing is about Australia, it's raw and it's wild, and that's why I love playing in it. You know, I love going to the ice and how we're saying the the seven summits or the big the big mountains. It's like for me, the draw to that is that it's a different type of wild that I can't get my head around. Now, when I was in Iceland, those guys look at Australia and they're like, oh, it's too wild for us, mate, you know? And, that, and that's like, so hard to get your head around it, don't you think? Yeah. You know, because it, you know, I've hiked and climbed all over Australia now. The sad fact of that is that there are very few places in our beautiful wild country where it is actually wild. Mm. There's very few places in Australia where you're not going to hear a plane or where you can't see a road in the distance. Yeah. Um, or you're not hearing some sort of man-made yeah. noise. There's quite a few places in, in Tasmania, but even still, you can still hear and see planes in the distance. They're still intruding upon what you dub as your wild experience so it's it's dis it's disappeared really quickly i think in the last mm. 30 years we're not as wild as we once were so for me it's really funny hearing um other people from overseas you know these amazing mountain climbers and polar explorers and but they're they're from other countries and and they'll quote exactly that oh Australia's too wild for me it's too many snakes too many this too many that <laughs> yeah, there's crocodiles yeah everything's trying to eat you and I think well actually if you want a place of wilderness yes Australia has those places but they're not entirely all to yourself anymore mm. you know even if you want to go hiking somewhere where you can truly be alone basically you're faced with the decision to hike off track and walk your own path and and for me one of the reasons i i hike before dawn or at dawn so i might hike under um, torch lamp for the first 20 30 minutes of my hike but i always hike through dawn and sunrise and the aim is usually to be back by lunchtime or early afternoon but one of the reasons there's a number of reasons why i do that but one of them is so that I can have those few hours with nature by myself be totally immersed in the five sensory experience mm -hmm. and it, when you're walking under those conditions it really gives you the ability to think creatively and think freely and those then you have those thoughts that come up you know a quote might come up from Winston Churchill or or Nelson Mandana and and it just makes you you know really think about your life and your intent mm. you know it's it's one thing to want to do all these wonderful adventurous things but you can't just put them off you need to go and do them and that that yeah. becomes quite complicated I think for a woman you know you go through those stages of life and I'm in my early 50s so you know traditionally when I grew up you married young you had children fairly young and you for me I included a lot of adventure into our children's lives but it wasn't it was never going to be to the degree that 
as a woman I wanted to do and then finally here I am my 50s and it's your time it's it's absolutely my time my as I was saying before my my beautiful son is your age and his wife and, and my daughter's four year, years younger and and it's time you know to definitely not put off things to make a list of things that are priorities that have to be achieved and mm-hmm. to go after them and not let anything stand in my way nothing will dim my fire I have things I need to do and um, I just need to go and do them and it's up to me to make that change it's up to me to put all the things in place to put support and to do you remember that day when when you realized it was your time like was there any pinnacle moment when you just kind of went you know what this is this is my time now I'm going for it yeah there was I had it we we had approached we we were we had turned 50 and our lives were insanely busy very complicated with companies and businesses very high stress and it was that whole whole mantra that was going in my head when is enough enough of this this life because when am I going to start doing the things I actually want to be doing it's big beautiful country out there you know how much money do you need what do you actually need physically around you to be Mm -hmm. happy and I came from quite a big house and we you know downsized packed up our house to go around Australia for anywhere between one year to two years and uh, we changed things with companies and you know just got rid of a heap of belongings and there were some of the things were really hard to part with because I had all my parents' possessions. Mm. They died a long, long time ago. Like that attachment, yeah. That yeah, attachment. so it was really yeah. an emotional journey, but it was also really freeing. And you change to the situation of living off the grid mm. in a caravan in these most spectacular wilderness areas with very few pos- possessions and living life very simply, but you have the most richest richest experiences and I knew when I was lying in bed um, having some real struggles with some medical stuff going on that that life wasn't going to work for me anymore this life of being at home with businesses with stress all of that sort of stuff you know each of us on the planet handle stress differently in some ways I handle stress really well but the one thing that I get really upset about as if I feel I'm wasting time Mm. wasting time as in not experiencing the things that are important to me and they're all attached with wilderness and hiking and mountain climbing and outdoors and nature and flowers and plants and photography and writing and all of those sorts of things so I um there came a there came a a point I was lying in our master bedroom and I, I just hit a wall can't do this anymore not going to do this anymore and my, my husband was was going through his own journey of a change of mindset too and I guess what we talked about at the time was just having a year off you know just turned 50 why not take a gap year like all the young ones do yeah. we never had a chance to do that we were working 
from 17, 18, like all the young ones did back then. We've worked really hard every day since then. So we thought, okay, enough's enough. Enough of this. We're going to completely throw all of the balls up in the air, house everything, businesses everything, rent out our house, and we're going to have a year of just experiencing whatever it is we want to experience. And so we packed up the house set off with our two very elderly English Cocker Spaniels. Was that was that hard at first to let go? You know, like it, you normally have that excited feeling. Like I love when I just go to a backpack and I'm like, I step out. I do a meditation that just says, you know, I'm just going to allow. I say, let the experience take me traveling. But I still remember times in my life, where, especially if I've been working or it's been you know, because everything's like a pattern. You you get used to something. And so, like, there's been times in my life where I've gone way too out, out of balance and then it's been hard for me to go back. It's hard that first, like, month of transition of, like, getting used to giving yourself what you want, getting used to just waking up in the morning and the, the day is your um is yours, you know, without having to do anything. And, and that scares a lot of people. There's a lot of people that get anxious in that, you know. And I, and I talk to this a lot with people. I'm like, you've got to learn. It's just a... It's just you know, it's just a pattern. You got not a pattern. It's a um. You've just got to practice doing it, and then you'll get good at it. What's the word? It's just a um habit. You know, to get up and you've got to go like do work, or you've got to go do this. But like, you can change that habit and make that day be for you. How was that for you when you first like left this life and first got in that caravan? Was it hard that transition at first, or was it just exciting? What you've just described, um, more lies in line with my mountain man's experience and you know I don't want to talk too much about him because that's his own personal story it's not mine to share from my perspective no it was the easiest thing in the world because I was so over the life that I was living I had wonderful quality relationships with friends and family all of that stuff was lovely but it was the fact that I was wasting time and every single time we went camping or exploring or adventuring, I just felt completely free. So I had absolutely no stress embarking on that journey. There's, of course, the stress and the difficulty with the physical side of packing up a house. You know, mm. essentially, we packed up pretty much everything and the house was absolutely chock-a-block. It's hardly got anything in it now, but that physical side, of course, required a lot of work. But the moment I got in that car and we drove, it was just like all of the Freedom. stress. Yep, absolutely. It was the first time in my life I felt free. Mm. And I was determined that I would not wait wow. a single day. And the the feeling of, of being free was just, right, it's up to me now to decide how I want to spend my day, what I want to do. And for me, it's all adventure-based. But one of the best experiences of caravanning around Australia was and it annoyed my poor husband. I wake up very early every morning because it's a bit like that last scene in that movie, Fifty First Dates. And the very last scene is that the actress, you know, they're in Antarctica and they open up the boat's blinds and she sees... Antarctica for the first time well for me every morning I could not wait to the very first tiny little bit of light to open up in the 
the blinds in the caravan we'd be overlooking the ocean with no one around us or in the mountains with no one around us by a beautiful pristine tarn lake or one of the great lakes in Tasmania with you'd be lucky if you could see another caravan and just to have all of that view in our caravan the pretty much a 180 degree mm. view of nothing but ocean and sky or mountains and sky mm. and to to greet the day that way and to combine that with the philosophy of of the impossible possibles well anything's possible today jenny what are you going to do with your day wow okay so uh, it's funny uh, as you're saying that i started thinking about like you know the inner child and and giving yourself what you need and it's took you to your 50 to you know give yourself that freedom right and give yourself like what you needed and go for it well i um, think i think um it's it's part of the experience of being a mum at least it yeah. was for me i have always been a type personality so i'm very focused on doing everything to the very best of my ability that does not mean perfect because no one's perfect but i will throw 100, 110% of my energy into every single task so I do focused. and that's exhausting. I've mm. learned that as I get older, that's exhausting. But part of being a mum is that, oh, you know, I haven't talked about my childhood yet but... I'm a, that's what I'm about to uh, ask you. Yeah. yeah, hold off on that just for a sec because yeah. as a mum, I knew the childhood I had and the childhood that I had required... A mother and a father with exactly the same mindset mm. and with the same goals and dreams and you don't always get that but when when we were raising our own children you know I was very focused on all the adventure side and hiking and and you know lots of wonderful things with our kids and my husband loves the outdoors too you know I don't call him my mountain man for a silly reason he's this amazing big Peter Pan personality so yeah. dynamic he's he's someone that absolutely everyone loves has a massive personality but it's true to say that he is more social than I am mm. and so he would love to go back in those days with the kids he'd love to go hiking with the kids he'd love to go hiking with a group of friends but he was more about sitting around the campfire after I'd done whatever I needed to do adventure-wise so that he could sit and have quality conversations with the people around him. Mm. Whereas I'm more adventure-based. So being a busy mum with both of us with careers, both of us working extremely hard but very, very focused on the children growing up and teenagers and, and just giving them the very best experiences we could and we did a lot of really great adventures and expeditions to Cape York and Outback Australia and, and lots of mm. things that kids didn't get to do back then at all yeah. and more do now, which is really wonderful. But being a mum raising kids means that you're not in a position at that time in your life to then... To put yourself first. Say, right, well, I want to go travelling around Australia mm. for a year yeah. or two and hike and climb yeah. everything I can. And that's what I want to do because yeah. that that mindset would be very selfish yeah. or it would be perceived to be very selfish because that's not what mothers do. Yeah. Which is beautiful within itself. 
And I just, no. you know, I was trying. I was one type of mother, but I had this burning desire in my heart at the same time that I, I wasn't wishing away time while the children grew up, but I also envisioned in my mind that there would come a time that we would be able to take a little chunk of time mm. to do things that were really important to me. And what's what's amazing about that is that you've actually done that. Yeah. You know, don't leave your life too long. You've actually, you know, that, that saying, Absolutely. it's like you've actually gone, okay, cool, that's, you know, I can go do that now. And I know a lot of people, you know, it's the cliche thing, you know, I know my parents have done it. They became their time and they didn't take their opportunity. Yeah. You know, they're kind of like, oh, we're, you know, they have excuses behind it. You know, oh, they're old now, they're this yes. or they're that or something. You know, oh, it's, yeah, I always wanted to do that. Yeah, but and and there'll always be excuses. But for my parents, they too got to travel around Australia, but they only managed to do it for six months. And the reason was mum was in her beginning her 63rd year of life and she had cardiomyopathy, and, but she didn't tell anyone Dad and I realised that she had a serious heart condition. She never breathed a word of what it was. And so that was a classic example. She left it too late and six months travelling, came home and was dead two months later. Yeah. It's, but they'd had, they'd had adventure time younger yeah. in life. But they too, mm. they'd had, um, Dad was 50 when he had me. Mum was 42. So they yeah. had a responsibility for me for, you know, 18 years. Yeah. And so by the time I chuffed off yeah. and started my own life, that didn't leave them with a lot of time. And, you know, Dad and I didn't realise the time limit on her life because cardiomyopathy back in those days so was sad. absolutely a death sentence. So she knew yeah. she was going to die. We, we Is just that didn't. why she didn't say anything to you guys? I, I guess so. You know, I guess so. Yeah. I, I really struggled with that. For a long time after, when she died, I uh, we had our firstborn son, who, as I said, is the same age as you now, but he was eight weeks old in my arms when she died, and it, it was just so sad. But I did struggle with it a bit, thinking you should have told me, and mm. and I've sort of flipped the other way when I've had medical things to um, that have come across in my own life. I've had a choice of not saying a word or sharing it with the ones immediately around me with our two kids and and my husband and the way I felt after my mum died I didn't want our kids to experience that so I've sort of done the the opposite yeah which we'll, we'll, we'll get into soon but you know um that inner child that you know and in, in now that you're you're in your 50s and your, your inner child wants to go and play play out in nature and everything where did that passion come from it, you know that that came from the inner child what were you like yes. as a child well, I think people, I think, I think I just got the luckiest of both worlds with my childhood. I think naturally, genetically, I was always going to be adventure-minded. I think that was already in me just through genetics, however that's passed on. Mm. But most, most definitely I had the um, most incredible parents who they parented really differently you know dad was the head the state sales manager for General Motors Holden for South Australia and also the Northern Territory so he had this massive big 
stressful job and mum had to host all these big dinner parties during the week, really high-end stuff, got to meet the Queen, Prince Philip and really? that sort of lifestyle yeah. in Adelaide and they travelled all over the world. However, come Friday afternoon, 3 o'clock, mum would pick me up from school and we'd be out on our 42-foot boat and we'd be cruising all around the South Australian Ocean and they'd be swimming with me, teaching me the behaviour of sharks. So I was swimming with sharks and beautiful yeah. stingrays, not a fear in the... Oh, I shouldn't say not a fear in the world because that's not quite... You need to have some element of fear when you're swimming with sharks. But anyway, we'd, we'd be adventuring all weekend and then they would pack the school uniform on the boat and I'd be dropped back at school wow. Monday morning. But and that so that was a little bit later on in my childhood. But right from the very earliest memories, when we weren't on the boat on those weekends, for example, I'd have classical ballet lessons say on a Tuesday and a Thursday afternoon, or the Wednesday afternoon, Mum would take me hiking up in the Adelaide Hills, and she'd be all the time talking to me about botany and ecology and and the important importance of she didn't use the word treading lightly when we were walking but she was actually talking about that people didn't really talk about that so much back then but she was she might not have been using those words but that's what she was teaching me to tread lightly where we were walking and then on school holidays we'd you know, when I was probably six, seven, eight, we'd go and stay in the Grampians and mum would wake me up at, um, you know, just at dawn, 5.30 in the morning. I'd put on my hiking boots. Dad would be with us with his camera, really into photography. And it'd be nothing to, to climb a couple of really cool summits by lunchtime. And we'd spend a good dedicated week or 10 days or two weeks doing that. And the same with Australian Alps. You know, we climbed Mount Bogong together. And I was only really little. Mm. But they fostered such a love for adventure, for nature, and a respect for wilderness, a respect for plants, and made me very aware of, of the marsupials that were becoming extinct you know so they were very much focused so my upbringing was very much divided into two sections you know dad with his high-end job and a lot of expectations about how to behave and how to dress and all of that Mm. in front of all these important people but the moment we had the opportunity we'd be off adventuring and Wow, it gave you a connection to the natural world. Yes, it did, straight yeah. early on. And and so for all of my childhood, I spent nearly every weekend on the South Australian Ocean. You know, as I said, I'd, I'd jump off the top of the boat right out in the middle of the water, swimming with sharks. I'm sure mum and dad were up there, eagle, you know, making sure there was good clarity in the water, keeping an eye on me. But I was wild. I was left to take risks lots of risk taking like with with scrambling over rocks and mountain climbing and and hiking learning about failure learning to test myself and but also learning a lot as I was saying about 
shark behavior and mm. and swimming in the in the ocean with the fish and everything else and swimming with seals and and baby whales and See, yeah, you grew up phenomenal. a wild one. Absolutely you, phenomenal. You grew up a wild one. When you when you started, like as you said, you know, like as you raised your kids, you raised them with a lot of adventure too. But when you went back into your solo adventure, like back into to pushing yourself, you know, for all these summits that you've done, which we'll get into your 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 adventures soon. Did you have to relearn or re? relearn how capable you are did you have to relearn that adventurous spirit like let it come back out like did you or did you know from a young age that was you because you held that in your identity yeah, no, it was boiling in my blood the entire all those decades it was just this simmering force in some people that i suppose it could flip into bitterness Mm. Um, for me it wasn't like that because i'm an optimistic and positive personality and i just always knew i was going to have some time to do these things I never knew how much time but from mum dying so young and I was only 23 you know her, her last words to me were don't put off traveling don't put off adventure make sure you do it don't let anything stand in your way and so I've been very very much focused on that the family's been very aware that that's in my dna 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 but yeah so, yeah so but but it's one thing to to have that fire burning in you but then to actually take the steps to make it happen because we're nowhere near retirement most people in their right mind wouldn't head off in their early 50s and just you know Organise businesses, you know, get rid of them, change companies, keep some businesses, do this, do that, you know, give up your job, learn to work on the road, whatever you're going to do, whatever combination. Most people wouldn't give up what they would feel was financial security to mm. have this gap year because for someone older like we are, you know, a gap year is a bit of a, what, Traditionally speaking, I suppose there are some people that feel that it's a bit of a frivolous thing, but I know the value of it now, and it's an experience that I would love all humans to have when they're getting to that age where, where you know, they've worked jolly, jolly hard, you know, they've earned money, they're, they're paying off mortgages or, or whatever their situation is, to then think, you know, I know I shouldn't be giving up work and traveling around Australia but I just need to do this when's, yeah when is enough enough I always enough, enough. I always think to myself you know when have I not been fine you know I started living this life you know I had a, I had a couple well sorry I always live this life no I, I had a couple of like wild realizations I remember I was 23 and I'd and I'd gone I'd tr backpacked around the world and I've told this story on podcast but I'm going to tell you guys again <laughs> I'd done a, a year and a half backpacking trip around the world and I came home and I went over to WA and I, and I said, okay, yep, I've done my gap year. I've had my gap year, you know, after school, I've got, gone and done my travels. Okay, now I need to do what I'm told to do. Now it's time to button down and get yeah. to work. And so now I'm like, all right, Be um, an adult. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a tree lopper. I'll start a tree lopping company. Yes. I'll go over to the mines and I'll work and I'll save money and, and I'll be an adult you know I do what I've been told to do 
end it the whole time. I had this nightmare every night, same nightmare, same nightmare where I can't finish high school. I'm stuck in high school and I can't finish and I can't, nothing's happening and all I'm doing is trying to finish and I just can't escape. I can't get away. I can't because if I finish high school, then I can be free and I just can't, I can't do the final test. Anyway, I go to Bali for this two-week holiday and I'm just surfing, hanging out with my mates, having a good time. And this is actually when my, my uncle was over there. Uh, he wasn't my blood uncle, but I called him my uncle. And he had leukemia and his similar thing, he said to me that your, your mum, he had worked his whole life um, so he could retire early. He was 50 years old, semi-retired, been semi-retired for six months and passed down the golf course. And all he wanted to do, um, diagnosed with a rare type of leukemia, and all he wanted to do was travel. And he said to me, I've worked my whole life so I can go live it. Yeah. And now I've got to this point and I'm, I'm dying. Yeah. And he said, just go live your life. You know, and I was just like, whoa, I just want to live my life. And at the time, just, you know, I'm just hanging out and surfing with my mates. And I got back and I was so confused. And I'm like, all I want to do is have a good time. I just want to go surf and I just want to go have fun <laughs> and like adventure and play nature and all this stuff. And I'm like, but I've got to, I've got to freaking, I've got to do this. And I just remember thinking like, why do I have to do this? Hang on a second. Who, who's telling me I have to do this? And I was like, okay, society is some story I've been told. And I was like, and I started thinking about my mates over in Indonesia and people on, in Mexico that I'd met, people all around the world that I met, different cultures. And I was like, they were sold a different story. And I was just like, I don't want to play this game. You know, and I just went, you know what? And I booked an around the world trip. My girlfriend at the time was at work. And I remember I booked two around the world tickets and I paid for one and reserved another and she got home from work and I said, you know what, I'm going. I'm going traveling, man. I said, you can come if you want or not, but I'm going. And she's like, yeah, I'll come. And we took off and I never had that nightmare again. And you want to know something? My life has always worked. This is what I trip out. People say like, oh, aren't you worried about this? Aren't you worried about that? I'm like, it just falls into place. The more I allow myself to be me, the more I go into the things that I want to do, yeah. the more I attract my tribe, the more I attract people that align with my um my values the more you know i get work and like everything just works out it's just like it is completely fucked up like how it's like my my mum's a warrior and a stressor and she just watches the news and freaks out about everything and nothing works out because she does and i'm literally the opposite i'm just too carefree yeah. and everything works out and i'm like I'm, and every, I have to tell her all the time, like, put a boundary up. You can't, don't put that energy in me. Don't put that fear in me because I don't feel like you. You know what I mean? I'm, mm. not, I'm not watching this stuff. I'm not listening to it. It's not a story. And I had to actually say to her last night, I was like, Mom, when has it not worked out for me? I was, Stop putting your fear on me. You know, it's just like, mm. my life is just allow myself to be me and, do, mm. and live my life and do what I want. I'm not going to fear that. And I look back and I'm like, wow, you know, I own my property. I've built my house. And it's just like, I'm just going to keep with the belief system that it's always going to work out. Mm. And it just does. Mm. And I'm like, uh, yeah. And, and again, each their own because this is just my story. But, you know, that's how I relate to that. It's just, it's just like, wow, like when is enough enough? Like how you're saying like how much money you need, how much is this, how much is that? Yes. You know, it's just like when's enough enough? And that's going to be different for every person by what they, right. their needs are and everything. But for me, allowing enough to be enough so I can be free. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely magical, right? And every time someone says, oh, it's unfair how you're living your life, I'm like, 
well, you can do it. <laughs> it's just like... It's just a choice. Tr- yeah, drop the story and go into the fear. And the fear is only this bit of security. And mm. we all need security because mm. we're humans. You know what I mean? Mm. We need shelter. We need food. But it's like really thinking about what is security and mm. what you need and what you can manage with. Mm. You know what I mean? And what you're missing out on. You know? Yes. And like missing out on like this one short experience we have in life. And I get the same as you when you said you're wasting time. It's like I get the same thing where I'm like, oh, shit, I'm another year older and I want to do this, this and this. And like, oh, my God. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go do that. You know? But um, I want to I ask you where the idea came from that, you know, after, you know, everything that we just said and, and you know, you going into you know, your adventure and your adventurous spirit, you know, we're sitting here right now with all these summits ticked off in front of us on this map. It's like, where did the idea come from that you went, you know what, I'm going to go climb as many mountains as I can and tick them off. Where did, where did that idea come from? Um, I suppose the dream was to, just a simple dream, just to caravan around Australia and open ourselves up to whatever experiences that we felt were important to us and they could be little things like my husband would love to go to a brewery or to a winery whereas for me every holiday we've done we've done seven trips to Tasmania six of them to fly and to hike and climb over the over the last decade and a bit so the moment i'm out of the house i i'm not really a homebody the moment i'm out of the house it's it's just an an a drive within me where can i hike to where can i climb what can i see what can i experience what can i learn from that but when you're traveling with someone else you know there's two of you and we had two English Crocker Spaniels as well. So you, for the first part of the, the first, I suppose it took, you were asking before, you know, how easy was it to leave the home and leave that frantic life behind with all the stress for me? I just knew I had to do it. It wasn't an option. That's what we need to, that's what I need to do. Mm. And my husband needed it to some degree too. For him, the first six months, six weeks, first six weeks of the trip were a bit of an adjustment because he always knew that I was adventurous and into wilderness and hiking and mountain climbing he'd experienced that on every single holiday we'd done as a couple or as a family so he already sort of knew what I was going to be like Um, as far as the adjustment came though when he realised that when I said I wanted to wilderness camp, I actually meant that. My idea was of wilderness camping is that we would get our Jayco Silverline Outback, which is able to get into the most intricate, difficult to get into positions. I would, it'd be up to me to choose. We'd take turns choosing a campsite, but my husband learnt very quickly that when it was my turn to choose that I would put us on a cliff I would put us in the most difficult to get to place mm. because it would have a view and there would be no one else around us yeah now he he's really social so he did did find that hard he he adapted throughout the journey and he's a lot 
he's fine with it now but that was definitely a transition for him to let everything that he'd known about how his day-to-day ran to try and embrace that idea of freedom but he was working as we were we were traveling around Australia with his own company so he didn't have the same freedom as I did so when I was off hiking all each day or mountain climbing he had the responsibility of being one of my safety contacts so he would be following me using my PLB GPS tracker he'd also be tracking me on my iPhone Um, you can use that find my friends app and share my location so he'd have a responsibility of tracking me and following the the written hiking plan that I had provided him with but apart from that he would be working and working really long hours so he certainly didn't have the same freedom I had Mm. Uh, whereas I had the philosophy this is my one and only chance I don't know that I'll ever have this chance again this is only a gap year this is not going to be an ongoing thing I have this pocket of time and I need to get everything I possibly can done in that time and sometimes um, there will be reasons why that gets kind of complicated with with an aging body why do you want to talk about that we, or should we leave that for later let's leave it for later if we can okay. I know it's hard it's hard to t- yeah it's hard to talk about the struggle yeah so the idea then went did it just come from like okay you're, you're traveling around camping and then you're like oh let's hike let's summit this one where did it come to like actually going for it well i i i suppose we we started planning for um only 10 months before we left so the decision to leave pack up our lives that we knew chuck all the balls in the air and off we go was only 10 months before we left um but in that 10 months i and before then i'd spent years of you know watching every youtube clip on every mountain summit every hiking trail in australia every multi-hiking, multi-day hiking trail. Um, I'd listen to every podcast episode of every hiking trail. So I already had this endless list, and it's still an endless list of, mm. of mountains that I'd like to climb and hikes I'd like to do. And when it was my turn, so we'd take turns choosing where we were going to camp or where we are going to go to next. And my philosophy was that... I really wanted to dig in deep into that national park, make friends with it, get to know it and hike everything I possibly could in there or climb everything off track, on track, whatever whatever it was. Usually it was a mix between the two. But my philosophy is that I really like to dig in deep to a national park. So some people might say, oh, let's spend four days at Cradle Mountain. Whereas I would say, let's spend three weeks this month and then come back four weeks after that, spend another two or three weeks, because I have, and I would list them out, all of the hiking trails, all of the mountains, everything I wanted to do, but I'd need to be doing it really gradually and slowly. So when we started caravanning, I'd choose these national parks, put kind of a time frame on it, but it needed to be very flexible for me. And I just started working gradually you know I didn't I didn't set out at the beginning to achieve 54 summits and 200 ish hikes 
but I certainly had that impossible possibles goal that I was going to achieve as many summits and as many hikes as I possibly could and we would see whether how that would go whether the weather would permit me to do that you know I I knew I was going to have to learn a lot about learning to be flexible Mm. you know nature is always the boss and just see whether the mountain would allow me to climb it and how much training I would need to do what sort of work I'd need to put in and and what structure I would need to put into every day off from hiking in order to allow me to keep building strength and resilience and and hone back in on the skills that I had when I was younger but I've had I had about a six year gap where I wasn't able to do the things I loved and so I was reteaching myself and retesting my limits and boundaries and of course they're always changing in life as you as you progress Mm. through any journey so that's kind of how it happened I didn't have a specific goal of getting on going x amount of summits and x amount of hikes in my mind that I was going to achieve as many as I possibly could knowing that you know my husband has elderly parents Mm. you know what happens if something you know we had to have all these really complicated difficult decisions what happens if a family member dies while we're away and that actually did happen um, we knew when we set off that one of our elderly English cocker spaniels wasn't going to have much life left so we knew we were going to face that um, so we had to have all these really deep decision discussions about well how are we going to handle this who's going to fly back what are we going to do how are we going to so there's lots lots of discussions that came that I suppose most people aren't placed in a position where they have to really think of Mm. and um, find answers to quite as early as we did it's funny when I'm picturing you you know as you tell the story I'm picturing you you know out and, and putting the caravan on, on different ridges and everything and going on these oh, my hikes. my poor husband. You've got no idea. My yeah, poor yeah. husband. Yeah, and going on these hikes. But <sighs> I can relate so much because, you know, you're a solo hiker and, and so am I. I like doing it with my mates. But I always say, like, I always say the destination. And I say, like, you know, your journey's your journey, mine's mine. I'll be with you sometimes yeah. and I won't be with you sometimes. Yes. It's just like because... I have my own connection, my own like feeling through nature. You know, sometimes I want to skip, you know, sometimes I want to run, sometimes I want to listen to music, sometimes I just want quiet and listen to nature, sometimes I want to be by myself, sometimes I just want to sit and watch, you know, and sometimes I want to enjoy it with them as well. But it's just like I need to have that freedom within myself, you know, when I go on a hike because I hate like being on a hike with someone or, or climbing and have to going at their pace. Yeah, you know? that's, that's right. And that's a really hard thing, actually. I think one of, that's one of the benefits of being in our 50s and caravanning around Australia. You know, we love each other dearly. We've been together since I was 17 and a half, so in grade 12. Wow. He was 18, so just finished school. So we have decades of history together. But we're at the stage now where, you know, he, apart from some element of worrying about me he couldn't care less if I go off to the day hiking um, and I couldn't care less if he goes off with his friends you know we've had all that history and all that intimate time together Mm. that the freedom thing's not an issue 
any longer. The kids have grown up and moved out, have their own houses, all that sort of stuff. So it's just he and I now, and it's up to us how we would like to so what do spend you each day. What do you do with your time when you're on that hike? I... Like that day you hiked 33 k's and how many summits? Five. So we're talking okay. about the... what I People may be familiar with the term the Aussie 10 peaks and they're the 10 highest peaks in Australia and they just happen to all be in Kosciuszko National Park and they're all fairly close to each other. I set out with, um, you know, we were listening to Matt Nelson Mandela's quote before, but I set out, I had a goal of, I couldn't do Everest Base Camp, can't do that. However, I'm in my own country. Let's start with, and I had already summited a heap in, in Tasmania. We spent the first seven months in of the trip in hiking, climbing in, in Tasmania, but we crossed straight back over to the, the mainland and I, it was my turn to choose, so... I wanted to do Kosciuszko National Park. And I came up with this idea of doing the the Aussie 10, but I, me being me, I kind of enlarged it and I renamed it the Aussie 1016. And I looked at the time that we had available and I thought there might be 16 summits that I might just be able to get. And in, in reality, you know, I may have only had two or three to start off that I thought that might be achievable but that whole element of well let's find out what's possible let's do it very safely um, and I'm a supported solo hiker but let's let's do that so um, for the first by that stage my husband had had hiked with me probably for about the first uh, six or eight weeks in Tasmania and then it came a time where I was able to do hikes five hours and more and that wasn't his jam. He wasn't interested in that. And I became, I changed from being someone who was um, intensely, uh, I'm always intensely curious about what's around the next bend, what's at the top of a summit. But I changed from wanting to be a, a point A to B hiker, get as far as I can possibly hike in one day and back I'm always intensely curious to do that but I I needed to change to become a journey hiker and so when I'm hiking um, it really is and it always has been I guess a five sensory experience for me you know I'm noticing what I can smell around and the wind's you know, picking up but that's yeah, okay we've got cicadas going through the mic <laughs> we've got the wind we're we're on a nice deck looking in the forest but it's, <laughs> that's all right but, yeah. um yeah, and, and and I love photography, so uh, just the freedom of stopping to photograph a flower, but I don't mean just taking a quick snap. I'll lie down on the ground, I'll take pictures of the flowers from different angles, I'll be looking really closely at each petal and the stamens, you know, and, and, um, and then looking at other elements as I'm hiking along. And it is a very free experience, but it's definitely a very, very nature intense experience, if that makes sense. I'm not just hiking to get up to a summit. I'm not hiking along the trail, just walking along the trail. I'm noticing everything around mm. me, every step of, yeah. of every bit of the trail. Do you know what I always do on hikes? What? I always go off the track and lay in the forest. 
<laughs> I've met a lot of people, or sometimes I just lay on the track. But I've met so many cool people on a hiking track where I'm just laying, and then someone comes along, and I'm like, oh, what's going on, guys? And then, uh, you, oh, you want to sit down? And then people end up sitting down with me yes. chatting and blah, blah. But I just like to just really ground and connect to, like, into where I am. You know, like, just yes. really, like, drop in to where I am, drop into the forest, lay there, look up at the canopy, watch the yes. watch the wind going through the trees, watch how everything's working together, you know, just really observe and how everything's interconnected, right? And then actually acknowledge that I'm there experiencing it, you know? It's like, it's it's funny the how deep you can go with the connection into nature when you allow yourself to go in there. Mm. I, I really relate to that. Um, I do that in my own way too of, it's for some of those reasons and then I have other reasons why I do that too. But I definitely spend probably about 20% of my hike having experiences like that, being practising mindfulness and really taking time to let everything around you and the experience to soak in because for me anyway, that's when... Um, that's been part of the time when personal growth has happened because I've had that freedom um, where thoughts have just come into mind and and I've had the freedom to think, oh, yes, that's what I should be doing. Why am I doing that? That's my life. Mm. And I'll go off and do it. And it's funny, it's funny um, once... If you if you're able to put yourself in a in a situation where all of the distractions of normal everyday life are completely gone, and if you're able to be in a place where you can't hear or see sign sign of man-made things or humans, it's it's amazing the effect that it has on you, and it is a very deep connection and appreciation and a respect for. Um, the botany and the plants and and um, the, all of the rocks and and just wild spaces and those beautiful trees. Because you can't hide from yourself and uh, you can't hide from yourself in nature. No, no, no. You, nature, nature sees straight to you. You know, yeah. on, on every mountain I've ever climbed, I always say um, a lot. You know, people of my generation will probably think this is a bit airy fairy, but I've always been very firm that it's up to the mountain. The mountain may not invite me there directly because I will I will be the one that will be seeking out the mountain but I definitely believe the mountain gives permission in order for me to be successful if the time's right for both of us mm. well that's yeah it's the same sailing mountaineering you know it's all ancient cultures have had respect for the power of the mountain Mm. You know, you think about a mountain sticking up. It changes mm. the the weather around it. You know, it, it's powerful. Yes. Like, even if you just think about that, oh, it doesn't have energy, blah, blah. But it's this pinnacle thing that sticks up in the sky that when, you know, the jet stream of wind is going around or hitting it, yes. it's going to... The clouds are forming different. The energy... Like, it's literally just... It changes everything, right? So, it's like ancient cultures have always worshipped the mountain you know mountaineers always worship the mountain because yes. they see the power they feel the yes. power yes you know it's something that i get really drawn to because you're looking at something so much fucking bigger than you yes you know and there's no there's no high that i've experienced in my life i don't know whether high is the right word but the most powerful intense feeling that i've um, felt in my life 
happens every time that I'm on a, a summit and the, the raw energy that I feel is, you know, you're on such an adrenaline rush, I guess. I suppose it's a bit of a complex thing, but What's but, but it's, yeah. the, it's that feeling of being so tiny in the landscape. And, you know, we were talking about weather before and the, the way we were able to travel when we were caravanning around Australia is, you know, take Cradle Mountain, for example. You know, I've just been publishing a lot of my hiking journal excerpts and all my photos on my Instagram account, um, which is at 50s.hikingaustralia. And Cradle Mountain, we were caravanning not very far away from the mountain because we have two dogs, so you can't mm. caravan too close. But there was a um, one of the polar Arctic antarctic storms that were coming in and whenever that happened in tasmania i wanted to head straight for the the mountains my and my poor mm. husband in his caravan and you know we have one of the pictures where the winds were were forecast to gust up to 117 kilometers an hour oh, and that's wow. not fun in a caravan and no. that bad weather sort of stuck around for nine days and i still did some hiking and i've just finished showing that on instagram i did some hiking during that time but I wasn't able to do the summits like Barn Bluff and Cradle Mountain right in that pocket of time but the beauty of caravanning around Australia and giving ourselves that gift of absolute freedom as much as you can um, was the mindset well that's okay we'll just come back in three or four weeks or a month's time and when the weather's right and the weather will be right at some stage and we'll make sure when the weather's going to be right that's where we're going to be mm. and that's what I'm going to be doing. What's what's the most magical experience you've had in the in the mountains or on hikes like what what has it taught you? It's a deep question isn't yeah, it? Yeah it is and there's so many answers to that probably there's been a couple Oh, I've felt really intense emotion at every single summit. It's a wave of energy that rushes over me as I'm approaching the final summit push and then as I'm descending and hiking all the way back and it stays with me for a couple of days afterwards at least. So it does, for me, it does happen on every single summit. However, there are a couple of times where I've felt an even higher amount of of power and love and energy and I suppose that was on the the that final hike of doing the Aussie 1016 um, and I achieved um, I finally achieved 15 of the 16 I ran out of time to get the 16th on the trip but I managed to do 15 and quite frankly I never thought that would be possible but that last day the hike was almost 15 hours long um, and I'd started just before dawn and I'd ended up falling seven times in the snow in the last few hours coming back after achieving five summits and the emotion that flooded through me was one of such immense gratitude and thankfulness. Thank I was thankful that the environment had allowed mm. me to achieve what I had and we've got to be careful in Australia because of, you know, you get times where there's bushfires and there's, mm. you know, so much going on on our planet current days. But I was also immensely grateful to my mountain man and the support that he had given, you know, this poor man, I can't hike consecutive days, but 
I'd hike one day and then the next day would be what I'd call an active recovery and physical therapy day. And on a hiking day, I'd be up at four o'clock in the morning and I'd be gone by 10 to 5 and I was in a caravan. That means that his sleep was very much affected and I (laughs) don't particularly sleep well anyway. Um, So he'd be waking up very, very early every second morning and then on the day when I wasn't hiking um, I'd be doing ice cold water immersion cold water immersion therapy um, from usually my first session would be sunrise so Mm. say 6am I'd be in the freezing water so there'd be a lot of disruption when he would like to sleep in till like 6.37 like normal people do I'd be thinking, well, that's three hours that I've just wasted. Let me out of this damn caravan. And if I got out of the caravan, then I'd wake the dogs up and wake him up. And, that you know, that, that part was very hard. And then there's the supported part. You know, he would often be the one up at dawn driving me to the beginning of a hiking trail and then having to track me all day. And then he'd be basically, I suppose, doing everything in our world around me all of the jobs that a traditional woman would do he'd be doing a lot of the cooking and the cleaning and the reason was that that would allow me the freedom to focus on what I considered to be Mm. the job at hand that's teamwork isn't it and so I was coming off um, the Aussie 1016 on that final day you know I was feeling so much gratitude to the people who had offered me the freedom and then also the support and I had a second safety contact who was on hiking days was also tracking me and was also working their normal job but incorporating you know FaceTime calls Um, there might be four to six check-in that I would do with both safety contacts either Mm. by text or phone call or I'd film a video and send it to them. So a lot of interruption to both of their days. And then I had the support of my medical team as well. Yeah, and we'll get into your your condition soon. But when you said on on this day, the last day, and you had the 15 hours, you know, and especially, and and we will get into it soon, but you said you kept falling over. Was that because of your condition? Like, was it because of that being so strenuous? Um. I guess there would have been an element of, um, if you look at the normal, the general population, um, most people at the end of a hike that's, you know, either at the upper end of their abilities or, or a bit beyond their abilities, mm. you have you would have immense tiredness that would mm. that would set in, and people, most people might then that might translate into when you're trudging through snow and ice to slipping, jarring, mm. falling, that sort of thing. Um, You're not as focused. Um, you might not be as focused. So I suppose mm. most of the population would um, would become tired at the end of a hiking day. I think that's, yeah. that's so pretty I, normal. I just fell off my motorbike the other day with the girl that I'm dating on the back and I was so embarrassed because I've never just my (laughs) blood sugar was so low we'd been down the beach um and we'd done this hike as well and you know been sitting in the sun all day and I was just so hot we run out of water I'm like oh let's go home and I was starving and I just wanted to get home and it's funny just before you get 
on the motorbike from my place you go down this beach track and through a couple of forests and the last bit is this stretch of road that's or a stretch of trail that is um flooded it gets flooded very easily and because uh, of the rain that we've had it's and it's been after from the floods that we had mid-year from you know down at port macquarie or whatever it's just had water on it the whole time and a few four drives have gone through it and ripped it up and everything and it's so hard to ride the motorbike through you know sometimes you hit waist deep water and you've got to keep it going but if you hit the the tracks the yes. real tracks the bike will just slip out now i've been managed for four and a half years to never fall off <laughs> to never fall off on that track and i always go really focused and there's a couple of times i've slipped and caught the bike you know my you know shoes gone well not always take my shoes off now because when i ride through it because i can't put my feet down but first time the other day i started slipping and i went to the side a little bit and i was just (laughs) in a way rushing and the front wheel caught a full drive a a tire track under and i'm in about kind of knee deep water yeah and um the front wheel just caught and the bike just went straight over. Yeah. Just and went you... straight over and I didn't even know what had happened. I, I got up, made sure yeah. she was right. And then I got up, my leg the whole time was sitting on the exhaust. And I, cause I wasn't even, that's those burns right now that are blistering up on the back of my leg <laughs> because I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking, I didn't even realize. And then, you know, we got up, everything was fine and then kept riding and I was kind of laughing about it, but I got back and I was like, shit, why did that just happen? And I was like, oh, it happened. That's a, that's something that I'm really normally onto within myself is when my blood sugar is getting low to take that extra time to stay focused to stay focused but i think because i had her on the back and i was worrying about both of us so i don't know and it was just so easily it just went i just went straight down it happened so quick so easy no one got hurt luckily but um (laughs) yeah i think i think uh, that's the thing accidents will happen wherever they can you know i've been i'm not going to use the word lucky I'll just simply say that when I've, um, all of the hiking that I've done around Australia with the 54 summits and 200-ish hikes, I've never once sustained such a serious injury that's where I've needed to ask for help. I've need to ask for help for someone to come and get me or I've never had to push the PLB aspect button to come and rescue me. But my perspective is probably a little bit different because um, I mentioned before that for every hike that I do, I have a, a written hiking plan mm. um, and, it, and it's very detailed um, and so it has all the basic things that you would expect about location and how long the hike is but it also adds in things, um, aspects like where I'm going to be checking in with my two safety contacts, how I expect that I'm going to be able to do that, whether I think I'm going to be, whether I know I'm going to be able to send a text or whether I already know that there's going to be a bit more signal there so I can do a FaceTime call. I'll already in that hiking plan have all the all the check-in points predetermined and communicated. I'll already have written down the type of terrain that I'm going to be tackling. I'll also have community communicated in the hiking plan the areas that I expect or anticipate where I am at a higher risk of Mm. injury that are going to be trickier so that they know that oh she's going really slowly through that section oh yes but that's that section in the hiking plan that she said would be hard but but apart from that I've also communicated where I'm going to take my 
my food and drink breaks and one of the best little tips that I got is from a podcast that I absolutely love called the training for trekking podcast by Rowan Smith and he trains trekkers and mountain climbers purely for hiking and climbing and I was saying I was chatting with him just online don't didn't know him I'm not a client of his I just fell across him on social media and listened to the podcast and I reached out to him and said look I'm really struggling with the needing to eat on trail but I'm constantly feeling full all the time and I don't want to eat and he really helped me with that blood sugar aspect because he said you know why not try setting a goal to eat something or drink something nutritious every 60 minutes Mm. when you're hiking during your your day and he also suggested well if you're finding it hard to eat physical food why not make some some really nutritious smoothies you know you can put in the freezer before you go the night before and it'll be half frozen for most of the day and you can divide it up and anyway the end result was I never achieved eating every 60 minutes but that probably wasn't his intention it was just that I would be aware that when you're needing the brain power to concentrate very carefully on all of the safety aspects and the brain power that even goes into the five sensory experiences Mm. and and all of that aspect then it and then you have your body exertion on top climbing a mountain or whatever it might be or trudging through lots of soft sand like i did on western australia's cape to cape track and for me that was 150.1 kilometers long wow um that you know it makes sense that you really need do need to be topping up with the right sort of foods at least every hour and a half to two hours Mm. and before i contacted rowan i was you know i was having a really great power packed packed um beefed up porridge breakfast before I left and I made sure I had like about a litre and a half of fluid in me before I started the walk Yeah. and I was, I've always been extremely good with hydration through the hike but I was when I started uh, falling into the trap bubble, I've had breakfast, I'll have morning tea you know, four mm. hours down, then lunch then afternoon tea and I, I learnt with Rowan's help that oh no, no, mm. the type of adventures I was going on that wasn't going to cut it my body wasn't going to you know that was my body wasn't going to play ball with me at all and I certainly wouldn't achieve the things that I wanted to achieve if I didn't nail that intensity of planning down with my hike plan where I'm going to stop how long am I going to stop what am I going to eat when am I going to drink when am I going to check in with my safety contacts? To have all that intense planning in there, but still allow yourself the mental freedom at the same time to embrace all of those elements, knowing how lucky I was to be out there in the first place. It's a it's a little bit of a different experience to yours because it's mm. my own. No, yeah, but that's I do the exact same thing. I was just thinking because when I was a friend of mine was hiking with me and he's younger. And I was forcing him. I take dried figs with me and some nuts. All the time, I just love dried figs. They just, you get so much. It's just so good for your blood sugar. But I was always telling him, like, you got to do it before you start feeling it, keeping it up so you don't. So once you start feeling that fatigue and everything, that blood sugar it's drops. Too late. It's, yeah, exactly. 
And then if you just sit for one big meal, then it sits on you and everything yeah. too, and you're not getting... So it's like hydrate before you're thirsty. You know, this is me. I don't know. No one's told me. Mm. This is just what I've figured out for me. Mm. And it's just keep myself hydrated. I do the same thing. Do um, Drink as much as I can just before I leave. And then um, and have a nice breakfast like that, especially something like oats. It's like mm. slow-release energy. Chia seeds. And yeah. All and the then, good stuff in there. Yeah. And then just top myself up with a fig and a couple of nuts. Yeah. And just keep keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And then um and then I'm like fine. Yeah. When I do that. And for me, um, I've learnt to add the electrolytes in really early. That was another tip, um, he gave me. To you know, he made the point. You know, if you when you're starting to feel mm. tired, the horse is bolted. Yeah. You've left those electrolytes way too hot late. You might only be three hours into your hike, but you've already blown it. And he didn't really say it that way. It was. Well, there's the cockatoo. Cockatoos, yes. Yeah. We're lucky we haven't had them flying in here. Mm. They usually sit on the rails just next to you. But um, yes, the uh, topping up with electrolytes really early, and sometimes I'll even add it into my smoothies or or um, whatever else I'm drinking. But it's usually that my first lot of electrolytes might be at the third hour in, which most people wouldn't. You know, they'd probably say, if they're going to do those at all whilst they're hiking, they'd save them for the afternoon or the last third of the hike. And mm. that's probably what I used to do. But now I've um, learnt to add them in probably at the end of the first third of my hike, mm. at the very latest. I reckon one of the best things that someone said to me out of the, um, you know, for adventurers, Aaron, you don't have to punish yourself. No. You know, you don't have to make it harder than what it already is, <laughs> you know, which I would often do. Oh, no, I'll be right. I'll figure it out. I'll just push on. But it's like, no. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know? Yes, that's not what hiking's about no, for me. Like, it's about, you know, it's so important to walk at your own pace. And yeah. that's, that's difficult, as you were saying earlier, when you're hiking with someone else, you know, you have a couple of choices, especially if you're, you're a couple hiking. You know, most couples will want to hike together, but, you know, there is the the other option of of trying to get your mind to think, well, no, this experience is actually really important for me and to, in order for me to, in, and I'm actually not talking about myself, I'm talking about my husband, in order for my husband to enjoy his walking experience and also for me, I guess, how about we put a bit of space between us? Yeah. And, um, you know, he still wouldn't get the same experience that I have hiking solo. But um, it's funny, sometimes when you're hiking together, that's not necessarily the best way to go about it because you're not, you're still connected to that other person. You're still thinking about them, you know, you might, your brain might have flipped back into what happened yesterday or what you've got to do for work or whatever it is. You're not present mm. and mindful in the experience to the degree um, that I think is helpful. So mm. that, that day that you said you kept falling over seven times, you fell over. Um, what was going through your mind? Did you check in with anyone saying like, oh, you 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 know, you're getting fatigue, fatigue setting in. Were you scared every time you did or did you have to make sure you're staying focused? What, and what, yeah. did you get scared? Like, you know, did you have to go through the motions of, no, you're pushing on? Like, what was that, um, those moments like? I think, I think for someone when they fall on a hike, and for me, um, I'm trying to, there was one other hiker 
Cozzy. So of the 54 summits, if I remember correctly, there were probably out of 54 summits, I probably only fell f on three of the hikes, which was just pretty good, actually. When I fell those seven times, it was in the last third of the hike and the snow, I was in a situation where the snow stretched for about a kilometre. According to my tracker, it was 1.1 kilometres. And it was deep and it was soft. And by that stage, I think I was into a hour 11. Mm. And I was absolutely fatigued. And I was fatigued because at the start of the day, I had this idea that I would just achieve Alice Rawson Peak and Abbott Peak. And I was thinking about whether I would do Etheridge Peak. There were three new ones to me. And there was Defer, which is out a little bit further as well. But when when it came to me actually walking and experiencing, it's, it's very hard for someone who's as passionate about mountains as I am to be walking right alongside one and not summit it so i added in mount towns and i added in mueller's peak and I, so i ended up doing five that day so you know in the afternoons definitely problematic for me um and so yes i was really tired i wasn't fearful on that hike because i was falling on snow i knew that there were going to be repercussions for myself physically for a few days afterwards but some experiences are so important to me that they are worth that you know I'll never be reckless I have so much safety training and safety precautions and structure around me I won't just do things recklessly but at the same time if I'm there to do an experience I will squeeze every ounce of that experience out of me and so the, the fact that I was falling towards the end, I had to get from point A to point B at that stage. I had to get through that 1.1 kilometre of snow without doing a really big detour. And then I knew that I was going to be on form trail after that, so it would be okay after that. So I knew I just had to get through that bit. And it wasn't like I was falling on rocks, mm. you know. So it wasn't like I was falling on my hip on a rock and that I was likely to break a leg or or anything like that it was it, I was frustrated definitely that that was happening to me um, and there were reasons why I was falling and I was definitely frustrated and annoyed with that but at the same time I understood and I that, that I had asked so much of my body and my body had amazingly given me just so much in that day so at that point when I was falling in a strange way, I was just so... I kept thanking my body for everything mm. that it was allowing me to achieve. And so I just kept getting up, you know. Normally, normally if I w was to stumble, jar, or, you know, roll an ankle or something, normally, you know, you're talking about feeling a bit shocked before when you fall off the bike. Normally my go-to is that I'll just sit down and collect myself and have a bit of a break and... Mm. And for me, I'll go, I'll just dive back into my hiking plan and think, right, this is the structure, this is what I need to be doing. But on that day, I didn't, um, not not when I fell those seven times because it was in snow, I wasn't about to just sit in the snow and um, 
get wet and that and sort of cold, stuff. Yeah. I just I just stood up and slowed my pace most definitely and just poured the last bit of energy I did have into focusing even more on every single footstep. And, you know, I got through and you saw the video earlier. There's a video that I was showing Aaron of me just... Um, just talking mm. just letting the emotion out filming it but just letting the emotion out. i thought i was feeling so much I, I thought that it was important for me to capture that for a number of reasons but i think it's important to be able to replay really successful moments to yourself later on in life you know you might be having a bit of a difficult day and it's really great to have that adventure stuff you know look back on those photos and look into those videos to see and remember exactly what I was feeling how thankful I was um, to everyone who had supported me and the freedom that I had and you know and the environment for allowing me there and and my body and just what do you say to everything. yourself when it gets hard I need to, I, I, need, I need to go hiking. <laughs> I need I need to get out into wilderness. When's the next trip? And you know, COVID's really mucked with that. We were supposed to be mm. in Tassie. We we're supposed to do a fly in, fly out of Tassie this year, and also one to New Zealand, Mount Cook. Um, oh. We renewed our wedding vows a few years ago. Oh wow! Um, and me being me, so I was in a vow renewal, beautiful dress. You'll have to have a look at the picture on the fireplace and you, you'll see where we renewed our vows. But it's on a hiking track under Mount Sefton. I was in hiking boots and this beautiful beaded diamante gown and everything five years ago with my husband. We could barely walk, but if we were doing something as important as renewing our wedding vows after so many decades of marriage, it needed to be in a place that was authentic. Yeah. That really meant something it need, and for me that meant it needed to be in a place of faith. And you know, there's Christian faith, which I do happen to have, but there's also the word faith and what it means to me as far as the as far as wilderness is concerned. Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful, isn't it? What's well, also doing that is living with honour. Yes. I, I think about that heaps lately, but when you, you know, like when it is getting hard and scary and and you've really got to push in through you know you said your body is like you know getting so fatigued and giving up what do you say what goes through your mind because obviously and we'll yeah. talk about it soon but you struggle with you know a chronic pain yeah but it's like to do the things that you do yeah. with the pain that you go through with the struggle that you have what is it that you tell yourself in your mind that allows you to keep going it, it's actually in some ways it's it's a double-edged sword but to answer your question well I, what I'm what I programmed myself very early on in this journey to say to myself was you've been here before you know you're going to be here again so just get on with it mm. and so I'll my version of get on with it in that moment we've just brought up chronic pain if I'm in high eights or nine out of ten my speech will be affected my balance will be affected my walking will be affected I won't be able to do things around the house and my husband will need to care for me so my version of 
well, just get on with it. You've mm. been here before. You're going to be there again. Just get on with it. You know you're going to wake up in the morning and it's going to be a new day and you can, you know. Wow. You've, you've, I just, I, I have that, it's a strange feeling of acceptance, but it's, it's almost like, yeah, I'm in nine out of ten pain and how that feels for me in my head, it's like having someone screaming at you full bore in your head when the pain's high and that's almost all you can hear and the trick is to learn to push that aside and focus intently on something else for me that might be my journal writing hiking journal writing it might be photography it might be concentrating intently on the mountain or the trail if I'm on a hike but the key is to focus laser focus on something that's really important to me something that is other than pain and because otherwise that that screaming my head with that nine out of ten pain you know people get presented to emergency you know they're asked the pain score nine out of ten and at nine out of ten they're not supposed to be able to speak um, they certainly can't function however for someone living with chronic pain my experience is that you can teach yourself to function perhaps the way to put it is more than a regular person would do had that situation been just been put upon them so if they have an accident they're plunged into their pain they don't have that learned experience of having to live that same intensity of pain every single day all day while they sleep while they're awake but for someone like me it it's easy in some ways in that it's just a, a snap reaction I know well Jenny you've been here before it's not very pleasant Mm. you know brush it off get on with it Mm. what do you want what are you doing next i i can't do this now i have to face the fact you know whatever the task was that i was supposed to do i'm supposed to cook dinner i can't do that now that's Mm. that's really annoying however i'm going to really concentrate on doing some writing or do some photography or or watch hiking adventures on youtube anything just focus on something else and just get through that and does it happen on a hike you know You've told me you you know your pain level uh, grows throughout the day day from your from your yes. condition right so you said by like two o'clock you know you you, you start hitting a high peak yeah. of pain what happens when you're on a hike does does you moving um, agitate it so like by you hiking is that agitating and going to make the pain worse or later in the day or like and also what happens when it starts coming on do you just have to push through it well the the thing with chronic pain is that it never leaves you and you know as you know for everyone these things are different so for me before we left to go around Australia I would wake up with a pain score of 7 out of 10 that would be my baseline for the day and the pain would grow from there and that's what I'd experience every day 7, 8, 9 Probably towards the end of the trip, when I was doing the Aussie 1016, I had found that because I was able to access the cold water therapy with all the ice lakes and the way that would work is I would stand chest deep in the freezing cold water, you know, snow melt, really icy cold water, go numb after two minutes. But then I would spend the next 25, 27 minutes going through balance out 
exercises, flexibility, strength, all that sort of stuff. Because I was able to access that type of environment on the trip, um, combined with the distraction, the mindfulness practice that I use when I'm on a hiking trail, I somehow managed for the pain to come down. And when I when I arrived home, um, I then seemed to have a baseline of about in the the five. I'd wake up with a five out of ten every every day. And there's a big big difference between waking up with a five out of ten. Um, if you wake up with a five out of ten, for me it's like well, I can do pretty much anything that I want to do with my day. Seven out of ten is a completely different thing. You know, you're really having to think right. How am I going to handle today very carefully in order to get through and try and achieve some things? And how am I going to remain flexible um, enough to realise that there may be some things that I'd planned to do that I can't do? So it was a bit of an evolution. But so whilst, to answer your question, whilst on trail, so chronic pain's with me all of the time. So if I start out on an adventure um, with a 6 out of 10, that's the best I can possibly hope for most of the time. That's yay, struck lotto today. Uh, if I wake up and it's an 8 out of 10 and I haven't slept well, that means it doesn't matter how much I want to do that hike that day. It's not going to work. And we, what the way we do it, way we, the way we've learnt to travel, um, where you might say, oh, I'm going hiking with friends next next Thursday. Mm. I might say, well, I think I'd like to do Mount Beerwar next Thursday. But instead, we will choose to caravan as close to Mount Beerwar as we possibly can. And um, But I will put in a date range. I'll say, okay, so we're going to stay there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And one of those days I'm going to be in reasonable enough condition to give that hike or summit a go. And I might need to build up to it. I might, you know, if it's something, if it's a longer hike, I might have to do it in stages. I certainly do a lot of mountains and longer tracks have many attempts. You know, sometimes it'll take me two, three. There's been even some that have taken me four and five attempts at a track that you'd find, you know, oh, yeah, that's 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 pretty hectic, that trail, but it's quite doable. Whereas for me, it'd be, right, I've had to go to that place five times within a fairly concentrated amount of time and, you know, done two hours one day, had a recovery day and active active recovery day and then had a second and third and built up. And, you know, my husband will say, oh, my goodness, Jenny, you know, when are you going to give it a break? You know, your poor body. And But I'll be very focused. No, I am going to do this. Mm. There is no two way. The intent is there. The focus is there. This is my goal. I am going to do it. I know it's within my capabilities. It just needs to be the right day for me. And I need to be familiar enough with the trail to know the terrain that I'm going to be adventuring through. And sometimes that takes a bit of time to... Uh, you know, I, I used that term before making friends with the national park, but that's what I mean. I'm trying to build up a bit of a muscle memory in some ways, although you can't do it in that time. But, in, you know, in some ways I, I need to familiarise myself with the trail. It's one thing to see it on YouTube, which is immensely helpful. And it's another thing to hear podcast reviews and people mm. talking through the track. But to actually walk the track myself, sometimes 
you know, on it'll take quite a few attempts in order for me to be successful. But I, I will be successful because I won't have chosen that mountain in the first place if I know it's too dangerous. Like I wouldn't choose Federation Peak in Tasmania. I wouldn't choose the Western Arthur Range, which is a anywhere from a seven to 14 day hike with and you're hiking a mountain range with a minimal track and a lot of um, not only rock scrambling but climbing and some people do it roped and I wouldn't choose to do those tracks that mm. I know are going to set me up for failure. I'm going to set myself up for success right from the word go of choosing a track that I know is right at the upper end. There's no two ways about mm. that. I usually choose tracks that are probably 20% above what I think I can do and every single time I'll still nail them. Have you had doctors um, because of your spinal condition tell you to not do this? Um, I've or anyone I, to tell I you suppose to not do doctors, this? You know, doctors these days, they're not going to directly say, no, you can't. They don't directly say, in my experience, they don't directly say, I wouldn't... They don't use stronger language saying, no, you can't do it. It's basically mm. what I'm trying to say. What is it? But but they do, they do voice concern and they do question... They did in the early days question me whilst, whilst they got to know my mindset and my psychology and my ability level, my background being a lifelong hiker and adventurer and my training I used to be an ex-scout leader my parents uh, were both in the army they both served in World War Two. so the whole childhood thing with the learning yeah. outdoors adventure stuff once once my medical team understood all of those elements my mindset my psychology um, how I react in different situations the training and the common sense, I'm very, I might be optimistic and positive to the, to the mountains, but I'm also very realistic. I'm very much a realist at the same point. And I can identify a mountain and, and you know, in a heartbeat and say, oh, no, that's not mm. going to be for me. How, how does it make you feel but when other people question you? Because you, you know your ability. Yeah. When someone says, oh, are you sure or whatever? Yeah. Like, wh how does that make you feel? Water off a duck's back. Doesn't, doesn't bother you? Doesn't bother me because I know I know what I need to do. I know what I want mm. to do. I'm very focused. The only thing on an ageing body as you get older, you know, people say, oh, age is just a number. Don't let age bother you. But in actual fact, with an ageing body... You know, you do have joints and parts that start that, you know, get wear and tear like all of us will do and all of us mm. do do as we're getting older. And so that, that definitely is a concern that you just can't be too willful about. I've definitely been called stubborn and willful many, many times, mm. but I'm, I'm very focused about the goals that I set and want to achieve but I'm also very focused at making sure that they are realistic yes they're always at the upper end because that's where I find the personal growth that is so important to me but they are always um, sensible goals in my eyes and why do you find that it gives you personal growth 
there's there's just so much you learn you know you learn um whatever those boundaries you think you have whether others whether you feel that others have placed them on you like doctors and surgeons or um, people close around you people's perceptions in general it doesn't matter which sort of circle you look in the community whatever perceptions they have or whether they're your own boundaries that you think oh no I couldn't I couldn't do that I'd love to do it but I couldn't do it when you push through those really hard times or those adventures that are really fulfilling and yes they're hard but you've achieved them you know in and if you keep repeating that pattern we had 16 months where I was repeating that pattern of achieving and being successful at least every second day it's something that um it just opens up such a wide world and you you know I might be in my 50s but I you know I know there's so much I can't do all the overseas stuff I can't do Mm. apart from some stuff in New Zealand but it's just like oh well, well what couldn't you do but I'm only talking I guess in the adventure world because mm. when I'm at home it's um, my life I suppose is uh, divided into two very polar opposite worlds you know at home I'm I'm um, spending time writing you know keeping my brain invested in hiking and climbing and summiting and and the story to tell and the things that I've learned I'm very invested in that but I'm at home and I don't tend to go out a lot. We, you know, we do caravanning and that sort of thing, but it's it's a very different life at home and it's, I suppose, it's harder to, to achieve in everyday life. Mm. The adventure stuff I can do on my ears, but everyday life is harder for me at home because there's different elements that come into play and you're not in as, as much in the sense of achievement. Everything, as you're saying this, and and you know, with your, you know, with your pain, and and the re- reason why I ask these these questions about, you know, like how does it affect you when other people, you know, comment with like if your capabilities or whatever, because this is something that plays on my mind, and when I'm going for something that I know I really have to push myself for, yeah. you know, that for me you know you're going to the place like what you do on every hike and that is going past the body past your pain into your mind right you need your mind strength to believe in yourself believe in your capability right and so i have the exact same thing so when i'm going into something like it's not i don't have the pain but I'm, i'm going into something where i know i'm going to be pushing past my physical limits and i'm going to have to from what i think my physical limits are i'm going into my mind and I know I can do that because I've always been able to do it before, mm. right? So, like, I have a self-belief that I'm capable. Mm. Learned behaviour. And it's funny. It's I can relate so much to what you said yes. earlier about suffering. It's like I feel I've learned how to suffer with yep. how I've grown up with my life and everything. And in those moments, I find I thrive because I say to myself, I've got this. I've always yep. got this. Absolutely. I've always done it. I can always do it. Yeah. Just push on. Exactly. Yep. It's the same thing I say in my head when it when it's getting there. And, you know, I've been in moments where my eyes are in the back of my head, yeah. where I'm dehydrated, yep. my um, blood sugar is so freaking low. And I'm like, just keep going. Just keep going. I've done it before. I can do it again. Right. And I find when someone questions me, oh, I don't know about that. Then I start questioning myself. Oh, maybe they're right. I'm like, no. So I really make sure that I don't either have those people around me or when I know someone's like that, to not tell them because it's like, 
I don't need any seeds planted that I'm not that I'm not capable. You know, and it's up to yeah. me to be realistic, like like it is for you. It's so so interesting. Yeah, I suppose you're asking before, and I got a bit distracted. But I suppose the times when it's particularly hard, as far as a social situation is, for example, we we might be caravan. We caravan with a great group of friends. You know, we might. It's nothing for us to have seven to eight to ten caravans all caravanning together, mm. and they will have seen the seen the photos, seen the videos, seen me climbing mountains, know all about that. And yet they watch me walking very carefully down the steps out of my caravan and I can barely take any footsteps around the campsite. I'm obviously in extreme pain and I'm trying to socialise, not doing it particularly successfully. You know, my words might be slurring. Mm. They might be think that I've been on the drink, not knowing, you know, and I, I... would, you could almost classify me as a non-drinker because I might have half a glass here and there, but mm. um, I've never got that high that other people or whatever they get from alcohol. I've never had that once. Mm. So for me, alcohol, I might drink a little bit because I like the taste, like a mojito or a cocktail, but it doesn't do anything for me like it does for every everyone else. So in those situations where they'll, they'll see me, you know, I can barely walk around the campground or walk along the beach in the soft sand and, you know, I, they can see the difficulty and walking and moving and, and they'll see my husband putting on my shoes for me and my socks and helping me with other self-care things. And that'll, that'll be difficult for them to understand. Now, I've definitely had people try to be polite but they basically say, how can you climb mountains and yet in everyday life you're not functioning very well from a physical point of view and you require help. And I guess that could come across unless you have a really good, even if you have a really good understanding with my um, medical stuff, unless you've actually lived with me, spent a lot of time with me, I guess it'd be easy for people to think, well, she can't. You can't possibly have all that medical stuff on because she's just climbed a mountain, you yeah. know, whether it's a month ago or whatever it is. Go, she's she's achieved all that. So how how is it that she can't go out to dinner tonight? She's cancelled yet again, you know, or yeah. whatever it might be. That definitely hits me hard in the heart. I definitely find that hard because I I want. It's, I, like, it's like someone saying like, oh you oh you can't, can't be in that much pain. Yeah, or something. faking it or what, 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 you know, I'm, you mm. know, no one's ever said that to me no. um, and I'm not really implying that but it's just mm. that I can certainly understand from an outsider looking in why that would be different, difficult for people to understand and to relate with and then to interact with me whilst I'm trying to be all bright and bubbly and social, but I'm dealing with that screaming in my head because the pain is that intense, just like someone would be if they rocked up to emergency and they've broken a leg or whatever it is, mm. and they're in the 8 out of 10 and they're, they're needing the pain medication. Well, I can't take pain medication, but... Why can't you take pain medication? Uh, I'm, I, sh- I shouldn't say I can't take pain medication. I'm hypersensitive to all of the high pain medication that would strangely enough help me and it just makes me be nauseous and, and vomit 24 7 mm. and then I'm no good to any anyone I just start vomiting and don't stop 
pretty much and so I have been on some pain medication during the last 10 years but it's been at very low doses and I'm actually now not on anything and I'm going through that transition at the moment of I'm been very focused these last years not necessarily on not taking any pain medication but being really curious about how do I go about retraining my brain to understand number one that I have feet at the bottom of my legs Mm. but also to retrain it to turn that pain volume if I can't flick the switch off to at least turn it down and the pain medicine specialist has always told me and the team has always told me that you do that by being completely off all pain medication. You can't have any of that in your system and it needs to be that have been that way for quite a long time and then your pain then your brain apparently should either um, turn that pain switch off completely or at least turn the pain volume down. And I've always at first, that was the very first time I heard that. You know, it's a bit... A chronic pain patient, if you tell them that, it's a bit like um, waving a, a red flag at a bull, mm. you know, because the pain's so intense and how, how, you know, any help that you can have, you'll take any help. And for me, I couldn't tolerate the pain medication, but that was still a very argumentative point for someone to say to me. But the more I thought about it, I've always believed that our brain is all powerful and that we do only know or do only use a small percentage of it. I've always really believed that. And so the whole time that I was hiking around Australia, I was working every day on retraining my brain in those two areas. And, you know, it's been successful in some ways and not so in others, but mm. it's it's definitely still a journey I'm on. Yeah, it's wild. I know, I know that that's where the CBD oil can come in because you know like you have the thc oil which gives you the high and 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 also mm-hmm. distraction takes a lot of that pain away but the i know a lot of people do the cbd because it's like a you know it doesn't have a high but it's just a, no it doesn't it just helps you after a while but we can talk about that yeah i that haven't after. i haven't tried that yeah well, doctors in australia are still still pretty anti that i have to say like my mm. pain medicine specialist i have had that discussion with the pain medicine specialist my gp and my neurosurgeon and all three of them just sort of brushed it away didn't well, want to know about it it's um, funny where it's like huge overseas still yeah but I here know, there's, there's I know. just a lot of lot of legislation but we can talk about that off mic mm-hmm. after but um w- would you would you mind if i ask what your actual spinal condition is yeah so it's pretty complicated, but in 2011, I had two dodgy discs, L4, L5, two prolapse discs is the correct term. And I had a very minor workplace injury in a teaching environment in school. And what I had actually done is I had ruptured both of those discs at a rate of nine out of 10 for one and eight out of 10 for the other. And unfortunately, um, I had a part of um, a vertebrae fragment that had gone into my spinal cord. So that led to the first fusing surgery of L4, 5 and S1. So that was done in 2011. And I did all the rehab after that. Expected that it would fix things. Knew I was going to go through a bit of a rocky road. Knew it was a hard surgery, but figured I'd just be fine because I had already booked really full on 
hikes like the Milford da- Sound track and the Overland track in Tassie and already had all these big adventure goals that I was doing that year. Unfortunately, the surgery, whilst it stabilised, well, they removed the, the vertebrae fragment that had gone into my spinal cord and they'd stabilised that part of my spine, uh, the pain didn't go away. And the issue was that um, I have an inability to sit. If I sit for more than 10 or 15 minutes, then that immediately throws me into the 8 out of 9 pain. Um, So right now you've been sitting for an hour and 55 minutes. Yeah. How are you feeling? So I'm I'm in in that window clearly and I'm just trying to really focus on on, um, answering questions and trying to get the story across... So what commonly happens with fusing surgery, if you, it makes sense if you fuse one part of your spine that it's then going to put pressure on the disc above or the disc below or both. Mm. So I had L45S1, so that's right at the very bottom of your back fused and that's where the spinal cord, part of the spinal cord damage was. And then... Um, Two years later, I just hadn't improved and the and I'd been in chronic pain all of that time. It was then termed chronic pain rather than the acute pain, which acute pain I think is only, if I remember from my training, it's the first six weeks after an injury, an operation, you have acute pain. But if it goes on longer than that, then it becomes chronic pain. So I'd already fallen into the chronic pain thing. So two years later in 2015, 13 they went back in and we needed to fuse if for everyone listening if you put your hands at the back of your around your back at your waist they fused l2 3 and joined it up with four so i'm fused from the waist down so what that means for me is that i have 12 7.5 centimeter screws and two 22 centimeter rods in my back which makes climbing kind of problematic yeah with flexibility oh my god woman. So, but this is but yeah. after the second surgery in 2013 i woke up not being able to walk <gasps> did and you know that that could even be a possibility yeah yeah yes of course they they warn you about all the risks and that you think it's, it would never happen to me, yeah. Well, it's not that you think, oh, I don't know, it's hard to, hard to explain, but not being able to walk for anyone obviously is a math, massive thing, a very complex thing for an adventurer, mm. someone who must hike and climb, who's thinking of that being out in the outdoors when they're at home performing whatever it task it is as a wife mother whatever it is in business doing work for an adventure adventurer to lose that function of being able to walk it uh it well for me it was absolutely devastating and it took i was actually quite fortunate it took about four months post-surgery for my uh, my adult daughter help support my relearning to walk again so I went through a lot of physical therapy through that time and for a long time I sort of dragged one foot behind but what it left me with it was no sensation in my feet absolutely nothing so I can't feel my feet at all 
Which would be very hard to walk with. Yes. Because you can't feel... You can't feel okay. slippery polished wood floors. Yeah, even... You can't feel steps. Stones, you, stepping on stones, sharp no. objects. How your feet need to move and adapt to yes. each step you're doing. Yes. Climbing. Yes. Traversing your weight on different parts. Like I... I I was thinking about this the other day, how much I use my feet focusing on spreading my weight across. Well, just going up this little mountain and I went first and, and then the girl I'm dating was behind me and I'm saying, oh, don't put too much weight of your foot on that. Make sure you leave some weight on this yes. and use this part of your foot. And I was thinking about, wow, your feet, there's so much to it when I actually go into it. But, you know, you can you can adapt. In my In my case, you know... I might not be able to feel my feet to feel the the rooted forest terrain or the scree field or or the rock face or whatever it is, but I use my other senses. Sight's extremely important to me. If I if I lost my sight, I would be stuffed. I wouldn't <laughs> be doing any of this as far as I can see. If you combined loss of feeling in your feet mm. and sight, I think that would be a pretty challenging situation so for me when I'm hiking I have to have 110% laser focus on every single footstep every single placement how I need to be looking at my feet like if I'm climbing a rock face then I'm looking at how and feeling the weight through my legs feeling how I'm transferring the rate the weight checking that visually with my eyes before I then take that foot up to go to the next foothold or whatever it is so you know there's your body is amazing how it can adapt the mind is amazing how it can adapt but those first four months in 2013 when I woke up and, and had to learn to walk again that that was absolutely very very tough and it was were you scared Yes, I was scared I'd never adventure. I was scared I'd never be independent. And I'm still not classified as being independent because I still can't care for myself all day, every day. I still need a lot of help. Some days I'll need a little bit of help. Other days I'll need a ton of help. And then, so getting back to the medical stuff. So then, so that was 2011, 2013 that I had both of those spinal fusions. Then the pain medicine specialist went in in 2015 and I was one of the very first to be implanted, I'm actually part bionic, implanted with what they call a spinal cord neurostimulator implant. And so what that is is that I have a device implanted in my flank that's about six centimetres by two centimetres and um, it's, it has a cord with 17 electro, electrodes which are connected to each nerve ending all along my spine, all the way up to my mid-shoulders. And the purpose of that neurostimulator is to help interrupt the pain signals between the brain and the nerve endings. And it has helped a little bit with pain, but not as much as it we had hoped it would but it did help me as far as balance and actual mobility was concerned and walking 
so it has has helped with that so yes i'm part bionic i have to charge myself up every day and i beep when i'm done really <laughs> that's really funny yes i charge myself up every morning i'll show you later okay. and then yeah i beep when i'm done and and um that so that's a 45 commitment 45 minute commitment every day so i do that when i'm um like when we're caravanning around australia when we're traveling and i'm adventuring i do that when i said that i'll wake up at four o'clock in the morning on a hiking day i'll be drinking um, my two big freshly brewed pot cups of potted tea eating my breakfast but i'll be charging, charging myself. myself up ready for the day as well so i've got the most charge in it just in case anything should happen and i was left out overnight an accident happened i'll make sure that my spinal cord neurostimulator is charged up so yes i th- there's those sort of three things that have happened as far as the spine but in 2011 right after that very first surgery actually no 2013 two years after the first surgery after the second one I was deemed to be permanently disabled with spinal cord injury and so where my spinal cord is affected is in the lumbar section and also in the sacrum section which is down further so I've got two aspects that are affected and yeah chronic pain is is the hard thing for me (laughs) it's a hard thing for anyone to I don't know if people know but 20% of the Australian population deal with chronic pain so it is a huge thing and I can't compare spinal pain to anything else spinal pains it's it's very difficult to get your head around mm. but uh, at the end of the day life goes on and it's a great world out there and what what keeps you being so optimistic the hope that I can get out there in an adventure do you do you find that the fact that you're out achieving when you've done these achievements, what do you find that does to your mental state? I, um, it, just, it just makes me feel... It makes me feel that I'm achieving what I was supposed to achieve. You know, I've always had that strong drive from a mm. child. I said right at the beginning of the interview that I felt that it was part genetic I just feel mm. that I've been born this way and then you throw the parenting on top so that that sense of achievement it's just well I was supposed to do that I'm now actually living that life doing what I'm supposed to do I'm no longer being caught up in the other things and and some of the things that I'm not doing now are actually really sad like uh, you've walked into our home during Christmas time and at the moment, we have a Christmas tree up. But That's beautiful, yeah. Had you been here last year at this time of year, you would have seen all of the house decorated. I, with the help of family members, I would have had brought out a big tray of all the Christmas cookies that I would have baked, all the shortbreads and the little kisses and the slices and everything and you would see the most elaborate Christmas. We do the whole traditional European Christmas on Christmas Eve with the slow-cooked leg of ham and the pudding and all, all of the European, the full-blown. Yeah. We, we still do all that, but at the moment there's a lot that I've had to compromise for this particular Christmas. Do you... I know you're optimistic, but does it ever sadden you? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I every time I have to say no, it sends me in a lot of ways. Like um, for the first 
for the first probably five or six years after the first spinal fusing surgery I was also teaching my husband what I could and couldn't do and so for example um, like you know a woman if she's going out to have cocktails with somewhere someone or going out to the theatre or the ballet or going out to dinner with friends for me that's a massive thing because I'm standing now unfortunately causes very similar pain to sitting so sitting's hard but standing's also hard but I would be to get ready for an event so I'd be um, standing doing hair makeup I have to break that up during the afternoon lie down in between to try and get that pain to just just would you like to lie down right now um I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking of you. I was just thinking we could put you laying on the. I just oh, feel that's bad really that, sweet. that you've, yeah, you've. No, no, no. Look, I'm, I'm used to this, and the, 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 the actual truth of the matter is that once the pain's gone up into that level, which it does most days, it's going to stay there till I wake up in the morning. So, a laying down will, will help me feel a bit better, but it won't do anything to the pain if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was saying, it gets, so getting ready to go out to an event is but then you know for example then I'm sitting in a car to get to the event and that might be mm. 30 40 50 minutes and I can't sit and then you're sitting all through dinner so people in the best case scenario friends and family or people that haven't met me will see me bouncing in all positive and optimistic to go out to dinner you know hair will be done makeup will be done I'll be all chatty friendly I'll walk in really smoothly but at the end of the night but probably only an hour after sitting they'll know they may notice that the sociability factor will drop off I'll become very quiet mm. because I know that my speech is going to be affected and I'll have to be really concentrating on wording and sentence structure um, and sometimes people will think as I was saying before that I've been on the drink and the fact will be I won't have had a drink at all but when you're in high-end pain it can slur your words so for people out there you know if someone's got chronic pain and they're slurring their words or looking acting drunk they quite possibly are not drunk at all they've probably not had anything to drink at all but that's the effect of the pain on the body and so at the end of the night I will get up and I will have walked in looking you know, you saw me today. I met you at the top of the stairs and walked mm. through the house, probably completely normal. But mm. when I get up from this chair now, I will have... Hand. No, you, are, you won't need to help me. Oh. No, I can do it myself, but <laughs> you will see I'm going to have a lot of trouble walking. And mm. it, it, it's hard. Um, I suppose it's a bit of saving face type mental game. You know, you get up from the table and you know that you're mm. going to look disabled. Mm. And that does have an effect on the people around you. Yeah. You know, there's no two ways about that. So that those sort of things are are, are really hard. It's the mm. whole whole social thing. Like when I'm out hiking, I have the best conversations with all the fellow hikers because, you know, we're talking about where we've hiked, where we're hiking next, what we're going to do, which mountain we're climbing, and it's all that fun stuff. But everyday situations it's very easy to feel that you're letting people down all the time because you're cancelling on get together or even last night I was saying we went to our son and daughter-in-law's place to spend some quality time with them 
but you know I had said to my husband before we left you know we can only stay for a couple of hours then we need to come home because I need to sleep tonight and if the pain gets too high then I won't be able to sleep and then I won't be able to put two words together a little line any rational thought the next day yeah. Um, so so you've got to pre-plan ahead all the time, yeah. Everything. Ha- have you learnt to, to live with it? Like as in like is, you, you said you're, you're lucky that you're optimistic. And it's, yes, and it's funny. absolutely. I, someone said to me the other day, because oh, I've been um, doing all this inner work so, somewhere that I want to go um, in the future is, is to help men with me- men's mental health just because I've seen too many friends go down and i'm actually going to a funeral on thursday you know right. the guy i've grown up with and it's just like it's just become and i said like and someone said well aaron um you're always just so optimistic i said well what other choice do i have hmm. you know like what other choice do i have like what where is it going to get me I, I my answer was you know and i can't relate to your scenario because i'm you know hmm. it's, it's just so next level that i can't comprehend but for me, it was like, well, where's it going to get me beating myself yeah. up? Where's it going to get me like, where's it going to get me not taking responsibility? Where's it going to get me like That's just right. giving up? It's, I'm That's not going right. to get anywhere. And I'm like, I have no choice for me if I want to live my life to be optimistic. And, and that's very easy for people like you and I who are naturally optimistic and positive because that's just our mindset. Mm. You know, it's almost like you could almost be harsh with people. Well, what's the use in thinking that? What's the outcome going to be? However, for and I have never had any mental health issues. Mm. However, for other people who do struggle with mental health, they're just not able to think in that way. Their brain doesn't work in that way. Mm. And they don't have the ability to get themselves through that easily when they're having those tough times. For me, I just accept that I'm having a tough time. I know that it's like a wave. I know it's mm. going to come and go, and I know that I'm just going to be just fine. But when you asked before, you know, did it scare me when I couldn't walk? The idea of being in a wheelchair really scares me because then you're dependent on people. Yeah. And then you can't, quite frankly, there's not very um, many walking tracks that are in the access for more category. And they usually only run for Western Australia has an excellent mm. one on the Cape to Cape track, and I think it's a kilometre. But that's the longest one that I've heard of in Australia, where someone in their wheelchair could get out, and yes, they're on a bitumen path, but they could get out and be in nature. You know, you constantly would be constantly reliant on, on everyone. And well, I suppose so, you lose your inter- independence, you lose your freedom. Yeah. So it would be very easy for mental health to deteriorate in that situation for me because I am dealing with chronic pain I've just been so naturally curious how can I get my brain to work through it and so I was talking before about distraction and that's why I'm on Instagram like I suppose I've never explained this but I tend to post four posts a day and so that is a lot of work but Mm. there's two reasons for all of that work it's a lot of work because what I'm doing is journal entries and writing the reason why I'm doing that is because I have to keep my brain really focused on that pleasure state on something on the passion area 
because the moment my brain is not intensely focused on something that I absolutely love to the nth degree, then the pain's overwhelming and then I won't be able to do anything. So that's one of the reasons why I post four times a day. And the other reason is because I have done 54 summits and I have done 200-ish hikes. And it's important to me to tell the story from hike one all the way through and the journey and the progression and the growth and everything. I want to be as raw and as authentic and as honest. And I'm just using my hiking journal entries as I've written them when when I've been in high end pain when I've been you know not too bad what I've learned it's important for me to share that story with other people and I get people that contact me I probably get between four and eight people contact me every day saying how much they've, they've um, found my content useful because it's helped them to approach a certain certain situation in their lives that they're struggling with it's helped them to think about it differently and Mm. sort of click their mind out things that come normally to you and I that are common sense Mm. aren't others but then when you throw a disability situation or chronic pain um, you're kind of forced into but if you're an optimistic person you're forced into trying to find really creative solutions to very difficult problems with how you're living your life you know, like with the cards that you've been dealt right now, what what is that core message that you uh, are spreading? You know, in in your most loving way, you know, like you know, like what what is it that you have to tell people? Like that, like um, how do I say this? Like it's like with what's your message? Like as in with everything that you've learnt throughout yourself and that you're doing and and this. It's still achieving things and achieving amazing things with such pain and everything. What do you have? Like, what would you say to someone that is questioning that within themselves? I, I think it's. Um, I just. I think it comes back to that. Those that core situation of being in your life, and you'll come to some. Not you, but many people will come to some stage in their life where they suddenly realise that their lifestyle isn't working for them anymore, that they're not getting out of life what they feel they should be, they're not giving to life what they feel they should. And I gave heaps to my life before, you know, as far as Mm. being a mother and a wife and all of that sort of stuff through 110%. But, you know, to, to really listen to that voice that intrinsically is inside all of us, when you know something's not working, to not wallow with that or stay in that stage to actually do something about it you know we turned our whole life upside down it wasn't an easy decision to make it was absolutely the right decision to make for us at that time Mm -hmm. but it's not an easy decision but just to um, to not stay in that stage to do something to make the change don't just set those goals you actually have to take those steps and make make that change happen and you know just get out there and enjoy life you know find the things that are really meaningful things that you are passionate about I don't care what your passions are just get out there and do that don't Mm. worry about all the other stuff the other stuff will sort of take care of itself but those passion areas those things that you should be doing that you know yeah and will bring you power personal power and you then may be able to help 
human beings mm. and, and I get out and do that. Understanding your patterns. It's funny because this exactly what you just said goes way so deep because it's in every aspect of your life, right? Whether it comes from adventure to relationship to to um why I'm thinking right this when you when you said that is like because in my life I just give myself what I need and then I found yes. a part of my life where I wasn't right and I found a part of my life where I had some story where I didn't give myself what I need and I so I just went down and I'm like how do I give myself everything that I need in every part of my life and I've learned how to do that and then this one part of my life I'm not right I'm not setting boundaries for myself and I started thinking how the fuck do I want to show up you know, mm. and I always have this saying, who's my super superhero? And I dove into this years ago in Iceland when I started understanding the idea of the gods, which was being yes. in such a raw, wild place. I started understanding where the idea of the gods came from because it's like so much bigger than me. Everything's so much bigger, so much rawer, so much wilder. And I started thinking of like, okay, love versus evil, you know, like hero versus villain. I started thinking about, okay, what does the hero do? And a hero is someone with courage, right? And, and what is courage? Like courage is someone that stands in the face of fear and still acts, even though they're, they're, they're in the fear, right? Yeah. So I was like, so what is that? Okay, that's the person who still comes from love and dives into the underworld to fight the dragon. Mm. They go into their fear to give themselves what they need, right? And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to do that. So like, where's my boundaries? How am I going to set this? Anyway, lately I just... I, you know, I sort of been go- wanting to go into this men's work. So I started looking at, I started doing my own shadow work, my own inner child work. And I started just going, okay, where do I want to, sh- how do I want to show up in life? How do I want to show up? You know, like I'm doing it here and here, but I'm not doing it here. I'm like, wow, I'm not giving myself what I need because I have some weird belief system that I don't deserve it. Because I was just like, why am I not giving myself what I need? Hmm. And if you go deeper into that, it's because you really, you don't think you're worthy of it. Hmm. And I was like, that's just some story. So I got rid of that. And now it's like, okay, I've got this thing that comes up on my phone every day. I, it used to be, be your superhero. Be your hero. That came up on my phone every day at 10 o'clock. Now what comes up on my phone every day is stay in your power, follow your intuition, and give yourself what you need. And it's so fucking simple. You hmm. know, I remind myself every day, okay, oh, what do I need? And like you, you have this, you know, chronic pain. You've got this, this, you know, you. It's it's actually it, it blows my mind. It blows my mind what you go through and and what you've been able to do and achieve, right? But what you're doing is you're giving yourself what you need, and that is being in nature, connecting to nature, doing what you love doing, mm. and your mindset seems you know because you open the door with such a smile and you're such a <laughs> you know lovely woman that it seems to be working by Absolutely. giving yourself what you need and and now you and, and you, you know that message to pass on to someone else it's like you know a mate said to me once he said you know giving yourself what you what you need when people ask him like oh how do you do it he says what did he say he said like his thing was is like why aren't you doing that that what he says to people when they ask him that stuff he's like you know it's actually starts becoming it starts becoming easy Hmm. you know life becomes so amazing when you just give yourself what you need yes absolutely. (laughs) you know it's just um i've been diving into this lately and it's it's starting to be like all right you know this is 
how am I going to show up? How am I going to help my mates that, you know, struggle with this stuff? You know, like you, you right there said, you know, like you, you're worried like about your, if your mental health, if you can't give yourself what you need. So you're working every day to give yourself what you need. Yeah, so that's to do with, as I said, managing chronic pain because if I'm not, I need to be fully distracted so that that doesn't overwhelm because if you're fully distracted, then the pain actually comes down a little Mm. bit. But it was funny before when you were talking about, you know, you said, who's your superhero and you're talking to yourself about it and sharing that with me. But I I was sitting here smiling because I was instantly thinking, you know, who's your superhero? Well, my superhero is me. Yeah. You know, it is up to me to save myself. Ex- I, not that I need saving, but you know, it, it it's, it's up, up to, to me. you to do anything. It's, it's completely up to me. I mm. am the best superhero I can have because I am a hundred percent invested in doing all the things that I need to do to be the very best person I can be. However, there is a second part to that that's really serious, and I, you know, I don't want to just sort of brush over. In order for me to achieve any of the stuff I achieve requires just the most mind-boggling amount of support from my mountain man and and when I'm on the hiking Mm. trail the the other safety contact and then I have a medical team as well so none of that would be possible without them so it's it's yes I'm my own superhero you know I can think that till the cows come home and I am that till the cows come home don't get me wrong but in my particular medical situation it requires others to be very mm. deeply invested in not only what my core needs are each day, but then to, I think it's a very generous thing to then invest in, in a passion area. Yeah. It's not their passion area or may, you know, may not be quite their passion area, but they care enough about me as a person wow. um, to invest that amount of time. And I love that. And what I love about you is that I feel that, you know, mm. like you say that and I see that. I see it in your body language yeah. when you say that. And it, it, it's funny. I'm so grateful. <laughs> I know. And you, okay, I'm just going to get a little bit deeper because deeper I love this stuff. You know, because it, it relates to everything in life. It relates it to everything, right? And, you know, as we just said, be your own superhero. Only you, the beauty about that is because yep. only you can do it. Only you can do it. But the thing is about your tribe, it's like only you can also choose who you have in your life. And so you surround yourself by people that give you what you need Mm -hmm. as well. You surround yourself by your tribe. You surround yourself by people that love and validate you and you Mm -hmm. validate them. You surround yourself by amazing people. So you're amazing. You know, you believe they're amazing. This is like, I've been thinking about this so much lately with every part of my life, like all the people in my life how freaking amazing they yes, are. Yes, absolutely. And I wouldn't have it any other way because you are a product of the people around you. Yes. You know, if I hang around people that have not not, not much self-worth or self-belief... Or don't have the same values. Or have the same values, mm. what happens to me? Mm. I start not having much self-belief. Yeah. Or, or Can't s- do that. But if I start hanging around people like right now, I've I'm, I'm been dreaming about like training and climbing mountains and all this stuff yeah. and then... I start surrounding myself with mountaineers who believe in themselves who started as just from their with their journey being just a normal person as well before them say their mountaineer journey they show me that it's possible well I would love to do that I would kill to do that I'm not actually in that situation that I've been able to access that so I when you're talking about surrounding yourself with the tribe of the like-minded people Mm. if we want to use that term 
I haven't been able to do that because my tribe or my f- my family and best friends they're very very invested in caring about me yeah. but they don't necessarily their passions are different passions mm. they're not my passions they're not mountain climbing passions they might be interested in it but they're not they're not like I am <laughs> that's lucky that's, that's lucky that you're everything. a solo hiker you yes. know, and you like to be a solo hug. I think it's beautiful. I think you've got a great tribe from everything that yes, you've said. It's amazing because, like, look what you've been able to accomplish. I know. And I couldn't have done that without my mountain man, you know, mm. to turn your world upside down when you've just turned 50 and, you know, you should have 15, 20 years left of working. And we just got to the stage where we were thinking, how are we going to get to there? We are so burnt out. What is this all for? You know, the ra- raise the kids. That's been absolutely amazing. They've... You know, they've moved nearby, but they have their own lives established and they're absolutely amazing. But, you know, we're working like crazy things. Mm. Yeah. What's what's the use in it? Why? Why are we doing this? You know, so we just we just needed a year off Mm. to to think about the deeper level of life, how we wanted to move forward. How did we want to get to retirement age? How do we want to live? Do we want to work two days a week, five days a week? What do? We, how do we want to spend that time? Well, I decided that I'm going to spend it my way, mm. and you know, that's that's selfish. There's no two ways about that. You know, so, so yeah. general society. You're you're a lot younger. General yeah. society in my age bracket, it wouldn't only be highly irregular. It'd be very selfish, and it is with the mm. level of care that I want. However, I sort of feel I have given my absolute best with every fibre of my being to every aspect of my life leading up to right now. But right now, I need to do this. And I need to continue doing this, knowing that this ageing body is not going to be um, doing things for much longer. You don't need to feel guilty, man, because that's just a story. It's like, yeah, it's like give yourself what you need like we're just saying it's it, i know i see the selfishness and we have this thing it's like oh like oh you love yourself I'm like fuck yeah i do you know what i mean it's just like yeah i'm gonna have, give myself what i need so i can have a fun life and enjoy it yeah because why else are we here you know absolutely you think i'm gonna sit there and be miserable no nah, fuck this i'm gonna love mm. myself man <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have a great time i'm gonna go hike and i'm gonna <laughs> connect with nature you are freaking amazing you blow my mind Everything that you go through, you've just sat here. Everything you've said, you said like you can't sit like past 10 minutes. You've been sitting for two and a half hours. Yeah. I know your pain level's up. I really appreciate it. I really want to thank you for let, bringing me into your home, sharing your story, sharing your love for adventure, sharing your connection with nature, and um, sharing your, your story of um, how you battle through to get that. You know? My pleasure. You're, you're, no, you're incredible. Now, <laughs> before we get out of here, you, you get some help from, you've got a, a sponsor, you've got this b- beautiful caravan out the front. Yes, I have. Um, I I am a brand ambassador for Carl's Cool RV and they've been kind enough to offer everyone a 15% discount for any caravan accessories that they might be might need and you just need to go to their so online store. 15%? 15%. And it's Carl's? Carl's Cool RV. So Carl's Cool. Is that Carl's. Really? So it's K-A-R-L Cool. So Carl's Cool, cool. So RV. RV. So 
www.carlscoolrv.com and at the checkout enter 50s.hikingaustralia and you can follow them on their Carl's Cool RV Facebook page for all your caravan accessories and needs. They're absolutely amazing. Um, when we were about to go and travel around Australia, um, Carl did a one-hour consult in in my caravan and he very quickly identified a number of areas that weren't necessarily going to work for me and he was able to install things like a diesel heater um, wow, to give me a Tasmania. lot yeah in the mountains in the snow we went down to minus eight there um i made us go into a blizzard for the first four days that we were down there my poor mountain man found that hard but i loved every second of it but minus eight is no no yeah. um nothing to take lightly so he installed a diesel heater and we have you probably don't know if you're not a caravaner but most fridges really suffer in, in caravans and Carl actually invented and uh, designed and IP righted um, a whole heap of different fridge fan kits that go into fridges in caravans to help the fridges perform um, perfectly so now we can call, store things like ice cream in the freezer and ice cubes and milk in the door of the fridge and everything works just like the home fridge and that's not the normal for anyone that has a caravan um, they know that fridges can be an issue but Carl's Cool RV stocks a whole heap of different caravan accessories for everything yeah, 12 volt, everything off the grid everything all sorts of unusual things I know, but i've decked out a few camper vans oh, like vans for maids four drives and everything and most of the accessories i just go to the, the camper van shop mm. just got, but 15 percent, man that's um a pretty good that's a pretty damn good discount code yeah it, it's a it's a bit of an interesting one these days i know that uh carl's cool rv it's it's really important that they're offering the right percentage that suits their values attached with their business you're mm. never going to see um you know, people offer 50 percent off for black friday or 75 percent off or whatever it is i've never seen carl carl when he does do a discount it's very very rare it's usually only one time a year carl's kulavi and it's only 10 percent. so he's mm. honestly only 15 percent's not that's huge. No, in the well, in the in the market, mm, trust me, yeah. that's a, that's a big discount code. I but know my one with Wild Earth is ten percent. That's the yeah. biggest one that they've got when they yeah. aren't having the sales. It all comes down to, yeah. Yeah. So ten ten percent is what they might offer once a year, and fifteen percent. They've been very generous to do that mm. to any of the podcast interviews I've done. So that's huge for any of the Australian listeners who have caravans. Jump on and have a look. Yeah, get a diesel heater. <laughs> solar panels, one kilo, kilowatt solar panels on the roof, completely off grid. Yeah, that's brilliant. Just amazing. I know, much. Washing much, machine, I everything. Should, I should show you the troopy. It's like, <laughs> I would done, love to see. I've done it all myself, man. It's just sick. Yeah, it's all off grid. Just um, love to see. All the, yeah. But uh, thank you so much for your time. Let's. Um, yeah, let's get you out of that chair. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jenny. My pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been absolutely amazing. Yeah, I've had a great time. <laughs> uh, bye, guys. I hope you guys like this episode. Now, remember, I've got prizes to give away for whoever shares it for me. Go on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe. 
put it on your social media story. Tell your mum. Send me a message, send me a screenshot, or I'm just going to see it on Apple Podcasts anyway, or I'm going to see it on social media, and every week I'm going to pick someone and I'm going to send them an O'Penal Knife or a Diaries of the Wild Ones t-shirt. Enjoy, guys, and thanks for listening. Do it like a double.